0: MotoGP 2017, the season where the best got even better, welcome to episode 41 of Bike Live. Yes, it's a warm welcome to episode 41 of Bike Live here on Motobot 101 and we've reached the end of the MotoGP season, it's time to review. One of the greatest seasons in MotoGP history. As I say, when the best got even better. 2016 was absolutely phenomenal with nine different winners and an absolute masterclass of a season from Marc Marquez. 2017 might well have even topped it with a brilliant championship battle that went all the way down to the wire with Marc Marquez taking on the surprise challenge of Andrea Divizioso and in Ducati. Madrid Vinales announcing himself as Yamaha's future talent. We also saw the arrival of a sensational new rookie in Joan Zarco. He wasn't the only one as well. And many, many other stories across the season, which we will try and cover over the next two hours. It's been a fantastic season of MotoGP Racing. And um, joining me to review it all is Andre Harrison. And, Dre, I think this is a show that for the last few weeks, since the season's finished, we've been looking forward to this one.
1: Oh yeah, we're cracking open a cold one and we're probably going to sit down for the next 150 minutes or so and try and break down probably the greatest biking season I've ever witnessed in my life. Um, this was ridiculous on all levels and the fact that we get to break this down for your entertainment is uh, an honour, so to speak. So uh, yeah, looking forward to this one because, my God, where do you even start so, on, on, on the, the, the amount of stories that this season told? It's... Um, it's been, it's been quite the journey.
0: It has, yeah, for your entertainment and for ours, because we're going to enjoy this one. Um, oh, yeah. I think it's probably best then that we start at the start of the 2017 season. And actually, let's go back to the winter. Um, and a season of real change, really, in MotoGP. 2016 saw a change in terms of the rule set with a brand-new spec ACU and the arrival of Michelin as the new spec tyre supplier for 2016. 2017 was much more of a season of change in terms of the rider roster, um, for the season because only one of the factory teams actually retained an unchanged lineup. That team, surprisingly, unsurprisingly, were the champions, Repsol Honda, who uh, retained Mark Marquez and Dani I mean, why wouldn't you? Um, as they looked to retain their titles in 2017. As I mentioned, all the other factory teams made changes. Um, Repsol Honda unchanged. Movistar Yamaha lost Jorge Lorenzo to Dicati. They responded by bringing in Maverick Vinales as their future star alongside some bloke named Rossi, uh, who was still on target or still on course for his 10th title. He was still chasing it after finishing runner-up in 2016. Uh, Mario Vinales' arrival, as I say, was in replacement of Jorge Lorenzo, who departed to Ducati, where he was expected to lead their pursuit of a world title alongside Andrea Dovizioso. The exiled Andrea Inone found a new home at Suzuki, partnering the impressive young rookie Alex Rins. The departures from Suzuki um, left uh, with that included Alicia Spargo. He found a new home at Aprilia alongside another of the rookies in Sam Lowe's and the sixth of the factory teams. And that's right, there were six because we had a new one altogether as KTM made their long awaited entrance into MotoGP as a factory team, bringing with them Paula Spargaro and Bradley Smith. Leading the independent challenge as in 2016 was Cal Crutchlow uh, with Monster Yamaha Tech 3, leading what? Many thought it was a risky rider lineup in all rookie pairing, Jean Zarco and Jonas Folger. Um, the winter testing program was completely dominated by Maverick Vinales in his first winter with the Yamaha team. he had been quickest at every single winter test, leading up to the opening round in Qatar. And true to form, he put it on pole position for that opening round of the season in Qatar in a weekend where rain ensured we didn't even get a qualifying session. That's right. We even have rain in Qatar. Um, a lot of the focus, Dre, was on Vinales, the new arrival at Movistar Yamaha, but it was actually an arrival, a new arrival to the class
1: altogether
0: that had us talking on opening night.
1: Yeah, over the night of the MotoGP season. And uh, wait, what is that Frenchman doing up there? Um... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Why is he pulling away from these people? Uh, he's on his own, and oh no, he's down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like I mentioned it on Twitter about a week ago. Right? I said, like, somebody asked me what was your what was your motorsport highlight of the year in pretty much everything, and out of everything I watched, I said Johan Zarco leading the first half dozen laps of Qatar was stunning like Qatar has a habit of being really close as it is it has a knack of producing great racing um but in what was still you know pretty slippery I mean, this is, I mean for those of haven't even talked about this yet this was the third time the race had to be started mm. um because of basically dodgy conditions a slippery track and well given that Qatar is for lack of a better term in a desert um they don't really have a draining system so and also rain <laughs> added to a floodlit track service doesn't really mix all that well exactly so uh, Qatar had to break out their national curling team to try and clean the track up for race day um so that was fun um Paul Spagger and Valentino Rossi were basically going full lobbyist to try and get the race suspended but MotoGP on you know, they're like MotoGP doesn't want to delay anything um you, you've got to keep the TV executives happy um so we had a race and Johann Zarco was completely fearless almost too fearless in fact, definitely too fearless, because obviously after dominating the early going, having a two-three second lead, he went full Jonas Volga and hit the deck, um, and which probably would have taken away an almost guaranteed race victory, given how relentless his early pace was. But um, the rise and fall of seeing Johann Zarco, who you know, you know, we thought was you know looked pretty solid, had a good had a good test, had a good qualifying session, looked like he was going to fit right in on that Tech Three straight away. For him to be leading a race for several laps was was shocking shocking, awe-inspiring, you name it, and uh, the fact that it just wasn't to be, kind of set the tone for 2017, really, but at the same time, was an incredible um, thing just to witness, just to, just to see Johan Zarco up the front like that was incredible, and yeah, it wasn't to be, but um, the statement had been made, for sure. Mm,
0: yeah, he'd put MotoGP on notice, really, hadn't he, and it was, it was one of the well-told stories of the season, that Monster Energy were even considering pulling their title sponsorship of the Tech 3 team. Um, before the season started, because they had concerns over the rider lineup. They'd lost, as I mentioned, Pol Espargaro and Bradley Smith. Two riders, or one rider who's a world champion in Moto2, and another rider who's had podiums in MotoGP uh, in Bradley Smith, and replaced him with two rookies who had no track record to speak of in the top class. None of them had raced in that class before. And that one sort of 10-minute period in that opening race immediately was vindication for the talent-spotting abilities of Hervé Poncheral, his ability to spot a talent um, and back them and give them just the, the tools to succeed with because they were running the Yamaha, which um, was believed, to all intents and purposes, to be the class-leading motorcycle in 2016, even if it didn't win the championship. And mm-hmm. we thought at the time that it was it was a surprising instance to see Zarco leading the race and that he might well have got pulled back in. Um, but with the benefit of hindsight, Dre, looking at how well he went through the entirety of the season... There's every reason to think that had Zarko not fallen off, he would have hung on.
1: He probably would. I mean, like if anything, this season proved that that was no fluke; that he was capable of of running with the fastest guys in the class almost right from the get go. Especially when he got back home. More mm. on that in a bit. But um, it's it's. Can you imagine the, like the the team meeting with Ponchero and the sponsors? Like I, I imagine that it took place during the race itself, right? Where I reckon they were sitting down with the guys at Monster. Hontra was watching Zarko take the lead, and and he was saying, so what was this you guys were talking about, funding, You know, withdrawing the sponsorship? And then they probably were like, oh, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, w- w- what funding? Please take our money, as Johan Zarko pulls off into the distance. Um, but, yeah, like I said, it, it, it is incredible to think now, looking back, that there was serious question marks over the side of a monster we're considering pulling the plug on the team altogether in terms of a title sponsor. Yeah, that is, for me, that m- might be the best tech free partnership they've had in some time. And Zarco, as a talent might be the best rider that team's ever had. Mm. So, you know, it's it, it's crazy the thing. I mean, you're absolutely right. That was a stonking great lineup the last three years to have Paula Spagaro and Bradley Smith together, like arguably the two best independent riders in the class. And uh, next thing you know, they replace him with two rookies. They were rightly a little bit sceptical, but again, immediate vindication. Mm, I think we all were. I think we were all a little bit sceptical oh, yeah. of it, and um, with, with good
0: reason. But boy, did they prove us wrong uh, in the short order. As I mentioned, Zarco did go down, did not win that Grand Prix um, in the end. He crashed out of it uh, on lap seven uh, whilst leading the Grand Prix. And in the end, Dre, um, given the winter that we just seen, and given the form of previous races around Qatar, we probably, in the end, got the result many of us expected, <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, the form book did suggest um, that, whew, you know, that Maverick was set to dominate Qatar. He had been super fast in the test. I still remember him at the end of the first test saying, I can race this bike tomorrow, and... Uh, Everybody was a little bit nervous, thinking that Maverick might run away with this, and um, he didn't. He was he was under a lot of pressure at the end from Andrea Vizioso. Remember that it yeah. becomes important per- later. Per-
0: and at the time, we thought that was just Dobby's usual Qatar sort of impressive performance because he was his third consecutive second place finish in the Isle.
1: So what do you mean he finished behind a Yamaha again? He never yeah. does that. Like it would have been the third straight second place at uh, 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 Qatar. To the third different Yamaha rider, he's finished in second place yes. too. Like, like Dovi must have been thinking, what's it gonna take for him to win at Qatar again? Remember that it becomes important later. But um, yeah, Maverick did end up holding up his end of the deal from the form book and getting the first win of the year, you know, pretty comfortably in the end. Like, there was a little bit of pressure towards from Dovi, but he never really looked like being a threat to, to Maverick at the end of that. Uh, Maverick having a little bit more in reserve, and yeah, Maverick took the first win of the season from Dovi, and uh, yeah, a fairly dramatic opening round, given we had many a top-class faller like Zarco, and Ian Oni was, was up in the leading group as well, and he took a nasty accident running into the back of Marquez's rear tyre, so it, it was a dramatic, attrition-based opening round, exactly what we kind of fans like. Yeah, right.
0: Van- Valentino Rossi would take third place behind Vinales and Di So Rossi would had an absolutely stinking winter where we just struggled for pace and confidence on the 2017 Yamaha M1. And to be fair, we'd struggled most of the way through the Qatar weekend. And it was a kind of a smoking gun sort of gamble of a setup that he threw at it on the Sunday that somehow managed to get him up near the front into the second round of the season and in Argentina. And it was a round that in previous years had really played towards Marc Marquez. Um, and truth of all, Marquez put it on pole position. Um, but Argentina qualifying Drake gave us a bit of a showcase for uh, and indeed, the race, to be fair, the showcase one of the unsung heroes of the season, certainly from a team point of view. The Aspar team, who um, went into the season with one one year old Ducati and one two year old Ducati. And Argentina was really the high point in a season where they actually punched well above their weight. <laughs> Carol Abraham, let's not forget, Carol Abraham qualified second
1: for this Grand Prix, and Alvaro Bautista finished fourth. That was a thing. Was I drunk? Um, I still can't remember that day. Um, yeah, it's sort of like a blur in my mind. Carol Abraham qualified on the front row of the grid. Um, a guy yeah, who we
0: were questioning his very spot on the grid.
1: We were when, you know, and rightly so. He'd been like a, a tall glass of mediocrity in MotoGP for quite some time. But Carol across the board was pretty solid, like all season long. I mean, yeah, it's going to be hard to stand out when you're basically the bottom feeders of all Ducati support, basically, and on paper. You've got a team alongside you that had Hector Barbera and Loris Baz on the same bikes. And yeah, Barbera was pretty bad too. But um, on paper, going into the, you probably would have thought, yeah, that's probably a stronger team than Aspar's right now, top to bottom. But yeah, Carroll, that was his landmark round, a top 10 finish, you know, a front row qualifying position on a... GP15, a yeah. two-year-old bike. Um, so yeah, you know those slippery condition qualifying sessions often throw up uh, the good old-fashioned conundrum of who has the biggest kahonias, and in this case, it was the Czech guy that had it on this occasion. But as you mentioned, Bautista as well. Uh, you know, just a shame he didn't quite crack the top ten overall this season. But like you know, he had a handful of really solid performances in this But look at the guys who were ahead of him.
0: They were all guys who, on pound pound for pound, should be ahead of him. Um, yeah. You know, you're, you're looking at the factory riders from Yamaha, Ducati, and Honda. You're looking at the two Tech 3 boys. You're looking at Danilo Petrucci who had a GP17, and Jack, uh-huh. Miller, Jack Miller, who did a very, very solid job, came on strong late in the season. He had three top eight finishes in the last three rounds to jump ahead of Bautista. Otherwise, mm-hmm. Bautista, and Bautista beat both of the factory Suzuki's, both of the Aprilia's, and both of the KTM's. So, so for him to finish in a, in a season of such incredible strength and depth, he essentially finished top half, if you like. If you wanted to treat it as a football league table, he was top half sure. this season, Bautista. And he was fourth in that Argentine Grand Prix and the fastest man on track at the end of that Grand Prix. He was fourth and closing on Cal Crutchlow, who finished third in that Grand Prix. Another of the season's quirky stats, that was Crutchlow's only podium of the year. Um, in, yeah. in 2017, in Argentina, when he finished third, behind the Movistar Yamaha 1-2, uh, led by Vinales, who made it two wins from two. Um, this one, though, was owed to a little bit more good fortune, because in a very, very strange instance, Marc Marquez threw away a certain victory by crashing out at the front. And it's not something we see often from Marquez. I mean, we see him crash a lot, Dre, but it's very rare. When we, whenever he crashes in races, it tends to be when he's chasing. Um, you are trying to push, oh. push the bike beyond its limits to try and chase down a faster motorcycle. But he had this one pretty much in the bag six or seven laps in. And then he went down.
1: Yeah, this was a very bizarre actually I mean, Marquez had a, a brilliant start, a brilliant hole shot, and he was gone in the early period. I thought, okay, we're done here. Marquez is going is to win this at a canter. But he just loses the front, lost concentration, and went down. Marquez admitted after the race he pushed too hard, which is very un Marquez like. We're, like, surely you must have been reading his pit board and realizing he had a comfortable gap at the front. Like, it was almost he as he had, had, because he just found out that Vinales was into
0: second. It almost drove him into pushing too hard because he new Maverick yeah. was coming it,
1: it, it's, it's like that and I hate to borrow the key human phrases it's it's like that like psychological rain on the front of your visor it's like he must have seen Maverick into second and he, he must have got a little bit panicky thinking oh no he's gonna chase me down because he probably saw what Maverick's pace was like in Qatar where it was un- unstoppable basically so yeah, it's 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 kind of amazing that you know three of the four guys in the championship at the top four in the end all had DNFs here, and yeah, Marquez threw away a a, 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 a win at a track that he has won every single time we've been here bar one, and that was obviously the 2015 tire incident, but well, no, that one went. But um, yeah, like this this was this was a almost nailed on victory for Marquez, and yeah, it was it was a hammer blow with Maverick Vinales finishing second. Just like that, all of a sudden, like Marquez is something like 30 points off the championship lead already. Yeah, 37 yeah. behind after two races. Uh, speaking of nailed-on Marquez victories,
0: um, the Circuit of the Americas was next, which is hey. the mother of all nailed-on Marquez victories on the calendar. And to that point, right, given that he was 37 points off the lead, Mark Marquez going to the Circuit of the Americas, defending an unbeaten record on that circuit, and given that points deficit, he kind of had to keep it intact.
1: It was already sort of somewhat of a must-win scenario for Marquez. And given that, yeah, he qualified on pole, but it wasn't by a massive margin over Maverick. Vignard. Maverick ran him close on basically the Mar- Marquez signature circuit. Um, everyone was like, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, we, okay. we
0: were saying back at this stage of the season, back in April, if Mark doesn't win here, turn the lights
1: out. Yeah, it might, Yeah, it might already be over. Luckily, he did. Yeah. Uh, and
0: fell
1: off. And, and he won, and then Maverick had his first real mistake of 2017 fell off in the early goings. And, uh, you know, Marquez basically won again at, 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 a, at a, a, a pretty comfortable pace um, ahead of Valentino Rossi and Danny Pedrosa, who, again, Pedrosa has always gone strong round-coater as well. And, yeah, we also saw another sighting of Johan Zarco hmm. in a controversial hmm. incident where... You know, you know, there may or may not have been a corner cut involved, and uh, you know what Valentino Rossi's like, once he gets a penalty, people start talking. Um, you know, Even it, if it, the penalty it, is point 0.3 of a second. Point 0.3 for gaining an advantage, and like, you petty mother... Uh, yeah. But... Uh, but yeah, that was that was fun, and then, yeah, it, was, it was walking proof that yeah, Johan Zarco feared no one on the racing circuit. Another running theme of twenty seventeen. But uh, yeah, Marquez winning pretty comfortably, and just like that, back in the title hunt again. After what what seemed again to like like a must win going into the weekend.
0: Mm, yeah, it was. He'd potentially uh, closed back to within twelve points. Of Maverick Vinales. Yamaha, despite Vinales' error, which cost him uh, much of that ground he made up early on, Yamaha still led the Riders' Championship, bizarrely, because Valentino Rossi, with two seconds and a third from the first three rounds, led to the championship after three rounds, despite an appalling winter, um, which we covered early on. Um, and it, it's kind of an interesting one, this, Drake. I was thinking about this yesterday. Um, Valentino Rossi's winter and his first couple of races, particularly how he went in free practice, um, Yamaha would go on to her next time out and have an appalling weekend on the low-grade mm. track service where they just struggled from start to finish. And the more and more I think about it, Dre, I'm starting to think to myself, those first three races, was Valentino Rossi's performances on that Yamaha actually more indicative of how their season was going to go? And was Maverick just overriding it?
1: That's a very good point that I had not considered until you just brought that up. Like, was Van like? It looks like for the first time in a long time, Valentino Rossi wasn't playing mind games. It's like he was right all along that the bike had had problems.
0: Yeah, Maverick was in the like, zone on the other bike.
1: Yeah, maybe Maverick just had a little bit more ultimate upside compared to Valentino at his age. Maybe Maverick had a bit more in the tank. But and you say maybe he went full Chaz Davis. Maybe he was overdoing it especially in the races where he didn't finish like Kota, like Alassn and, and other races where he struggled in the wet and struggled on low grip services like Catalunya which we'll get to in a bit. Maybe Valentino Rossi was onto something because yeah, he had he, he finished on the podium in each of the first three rounds. He only had three more podiums for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, like Rossi would always complain about that bike all the way throughout the year. He, like if there's one thing he was consistent about this all the way through that the bike had problems and yeah, it was indi- indi- maybe he was, Rossi was a lot more indicative of Yamaha's problems than we first gave him credit for at the start of the season, when we were, pu- we were probably putting it down to, oh, it's just Valley playing possum again, no big deal. Um, he, he probably, he probably, and up winning the title again. <laughs> but uh, no, it turns out you know, that, hey, maybe they were maybe me was, was more right than we realised.
0: Yeah, they, they certainly weren't playing possum in Jerez where Valentino Rossi finished down in tenth position. Uh, in that Grand Prix, which was um, his lowest ever, I believe it's his lowest ever finish on a Yamaha in a race where he hadn't crashed earlier in the race. Only finishing 10th on pure pace in that Grand Prix as the bike was, by his own admission, pretty unridable towards the end. Uh, Maverick Vinales finished 6th in that Grand Prix. Um, and he would win one more Grand Prix that season. We'll come on to that in a moment. The Grand Prix at Le Mans. Um, but... If we're looking at Maverick Vinales' season as a whole, Drake, because really it had peaked around around this time in the season with his sensational start to the year. Um, How does Maverick Vinales' season stack up overall when we look at his body of work over 18 races? He started it so brilliantly um, and finished as the top Yamaha rider in the championship. But will there be an element of disappointment for Maverick that having started the season so strongly, he ended up being out of chance of contention with two races and change still to spare?
1: 68 points off the championship in the end. Um, yeah, this... It's hard to get a read on this because he's kind of in no man's land. Here. He was the bronze medalist overall. We saw him win that beautiful bronze medal at the Air Awards gala earlier this week. Because, um, again, he was better than his teammate by 22 points, but Valentino, again, missed San Marino because of the broken... Obviously, because of the broken leg situation we'll get to later on. But... It's, it's hard to get her in this. I mean, okay, he won three races. Only the two main contenders won more. Mm-hmm. He was the best mm-hmm. Yamaha by 20-plus points over Valentino. He beat Valentino head-to-head over a, over a season. Not many guys are capable of that. Say, say what you will about Rossi's broken leg and the round he missed. But I don't think Rossi would have won in Masano. Maybe. Maybe not. We'll never know. But, not oh, given it rained, we probably wouldn't. No. But, um, <laughs> but. It's a tricky one because it's like, by any measure, it's not terrible. It's just, I think it could be a case of what could have been because he was so strong at the opening parts of the season and he was humbled quite quickly by a bit of low grip in Catalonia, for example, low grip in Jaref. And after that, he never really looked like the same rider outside of maybe Silverstone where he gave Dovi a really good run for the win there. Besides that... He didn't really stand out anywhere, no. besides. And if anything, he struggled more than anything else. And as he, again, by the time the year was all said and done, he ended up nearly seventy points spot off off the championship in the you year. You mentioned so- the word
0: humbled there um, about Maverick Vinales, and this was a point I was going to make. If Maverick Vinales is going to make this next step up, and he's he's made a step up this year, he's won three Grand Prix, which is. Um, more than he'd ever won before in most GP. He'd only won that like, one previous round for Suzuki. If he's going to make the next step to become a world champion in this class, is perhaps Maverick Mignoles' current glaring weakness in that he needs to be better on his bad days or, more to the point, have fewer bad days in a season? Because I mentioned a moment ago how Yamaha's performances might well have been more reflective of how Rossi struggled earlier on. It's probably fair to say that if you look through the season, on those days where the Yamaha was particularly bad... It was Valentino getting more out of it than Maverick.
1: Yeah, maybe it's a case of experience because he just I mean, didn't limit the damage, did he? No, he didn't. Um, yeah, no matter which way you sliced it, it just didn't happen. And I think you're right. I think that I think that might be a very valid point. It might be a case of maybe Maverick needs to learn a little bit of the, of the damage limitation that Mark Marquez learned a couple of years ago. Where
0: Catalonia tenth, yeah, Assen crashed.
1: Japan, 9th, Valencia, 12th. Yeah, ninth into Pang as well. So there, there was a lot of... If Maverick had a bad day, he had a really bad day. He either crashed it or failed to get in the top eight. And, and no matter which way, that's not good. That's not going to be good enough against guys like Mark Marquez to challenge for a championship now. He needs more than that. So yeah, maybe it's a case of learning damage imitation. Maybe it's a case of maybe not riding quite so hard and finding, you know, trying to work out where the limit is a bit more often maybe it's that maybe it's a lack of maturity still at the highest level i'm not sure exactly what it is and i'm not i'm not a doctor i'm not going to be able to tell you exactly how to fix this but it certainly is intriguing that uh you know that, to, to see that maverick struggled so hard in the second half of the season. Um, And yeah, despite being the best of the Yamahas, he stopped feeling like a title contender sometime around the summer break.
0: Yeah, the doctor on the other bike still led the championship at this point in the season, although he would fade uh, from this point onwards. Uh, Haret was certainly a Honda day um, in a race characterized by tyre wear and high temperatures, which certainly played to the strength of the Honda team. Um, And they took their first of three 1-2 finishes in the 2017 season. Um, And this one was led by Danny Pedrosa, who was uh, doing his sort of annual job, I suppose, of just making those odd appearances where he looked like an outside championship contender without ever actually materializing later on in the season. Um, And a virtuoso performance from Danny Pedrosa, it was just one of those Danny weekends where he turned up from Friday morning, dominated, put it on pole and wasn't seen again.
1: He's always good for about two or three of these a year where he just reminds everybody why, you know, it's easier to say, oh, yeah, Honda should probably move on from this guy. There's more exciting talent out there. But there's nobody in the world who does Danny Pedrosa's role and job within that team better than what Danny Pedrosa has done. And he is a, a fantastic number two and brilliant cleanup man to have because on days like this, he can still go out there and completely dominate a Grand Prix and win it. And that's exactly what he did here. It was a a brilliant, measured, tactical ride. Marquez threw the house at him and didn't have an answer for him. Marquez, in the end, was like, okay, let me just take these 20 points uh, and and move on, because I I think he knew that Maverick and and, and Valentino were struggling further back, so he wasn't going to push it too hard, but Pedrosa was in complete control of that race right from the start. It was a brilliant, measured, calculated ride on a day where many, many riders did struggle out there on the low grip conditions. Pedrosa, you know all five foot two and a hundred pounds of him soaking wet was able to guide that thing around beautifully maybe it was the lack of weight that won it for him in the end but uh, a brilliant ride from danny and again a, a a a message as to why he's still so valuable for that Honda team in general
0: yeah nine podiums over the course of the season for danny because including the two victories um in uh, both on spanish soil at Jerez and in valencia Um, which is a a record that stacks up against absolutely anybody, really, in MotoGP to be on on the podium in exactly half of the Grand Prix. Given how competitive it is these days, um, that takes some doing. I think, all told, you have more podiums than championship runner-up De who had six wins, but only two other uh, roster finishes in the season. Um, as it was, as I mentioned, Valentino Rossi still led the championship, but it was very, very closely matched at um, this early stage in the season. Valentino Rossi, after four rounds, had 62 points, two clear of his teammate Maverick Vinales. Mark Marquez in third was a further two points back in third, with Danny Pedroza up to fourth, just 10 off the leader. Uh, Andre De was fifth on 41 points, that's 21 off the lead. Um, and his team, at Jorge Lorenzo, was still just about about getting going on the other factory, Ducati. In fact, it was at Jerez where he took his first podium uh, for the team. Um, one of only three rosterings he had all season, Dre. And Jorge Lorenzo, he finished the year 7th in the championship. And it's, 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 it's a funny one because I was thinking about this. I was thinking, if we'd sat here a year ago and talked about Jorge Lorenzo finishing 7th in the world championship in 2017... Would have probably sat there and thought, Do you know what? That's a solid season in his first year without Ducati. He's learning that bike. Seven's not bad, but when you put that also in the context of his teammate finishing championship runner-up, it doesn't look quite so good, does it?
1: Andrea Dovizioso outpointed Lorenzo almost two to one. Um, no matter like no matter which way you slice it, Lorenzo got hammered harder than any season he's ever had in MotoGP. And yeah, you're absolutely right. To a degree, you know it, it, this this was a learning experience for him, and you know this was a brand new bike, and and you know of course there's going to be a learning curve that comes with that. He's it's never going to be quite right, and yeah, that's uh, that's understandable. But when it's clear that Dovi and the GP17 were a clear step forward for the team, and that Dovi was able to lead a title challenge, how he did, uh, no matter which way you slice it, that's not a good look, and you know Lorenzo finishing so far behind this teammate um oof, it's it's probably not ideal to say the least so uh yeah disappointing on that one for lorenzo to a, a little bit not not the end of the world i'm sure he'll be better next year he's, he's only going to get better as time goes on um, and he obviously he keeps learning and when the gp18 comes around probably early next year cause they didn't they didn't run it at the uh, valencia test it's not ready yet but uh, yeah, by any measure, this was, a, this was a bit of a disappointing year. And I mean, he finished 37 points behind him, Hans Zarko, a rookie. Um, it's, not, it's not the most favorable look for Lorenzo, but, you know, give it time. I'm sure he'll be fine. Yeah,
0: he only finished 13 points ahead of Danilo Petrucci on the Pramac GP17. Uh, mm. Yeah, he had his days where he was um, fantastic. I mean, he, there were several Grand Prix this year where Hockey Lorenzo led early on. Hareth, um, I think, was one of them. He also led early on in Mugello. He led by a mile early on um, at the San Marino Grand Prix at Mazzano as well, before he crashed out of the lead there. He led in Aragon. Um, he also led for a long time in Malaysia in a, in a race that we'll come on to later on that certainly had its uh, fair share of controversy surrounding it. Um, he definitely improved as the season went on, but I couldn't help but feel at the end of the season that I was expecting him by the end of the year to be slightly better than he was, Hockey um, Lorenzo. He was yes. still comfortably the number two within his team um, in Ducati. And it's he was number two to the point, Dre, where I don't think it's a given at all that he's going to turn up early next season and be ahead of Dovi.
1: I don't think he will. I, I, I straight up don't think he will. Dovi is, is way, way ahead um, of where Lorenzo is. I'm tr- I mean... <laughs> Like Dovi was on another planet most of the time. I think the only times really where Lorenzo looked like he was on the same footing as Dovi pretty much all year was a ref was one of the big ones and I'd say maybe throw in Malaysia where obviously they they ran each other quite close till the end of that race. But overall, like, Lorenzo just not in the same ballpark as Dovey must And here, I completely agree. I'd, I'd go one stage further. I don't think Lorenzo will beat Dovey next year. I really don't. I think Lorenzo, I think Dovey will keep being the team leader for that team going forward. And if that's the case, what have you, got you really got for their £24 million investment? It makes, it, makes, it makes you wonder.
0: And where does Hockey go from there as well? It's going to be a big year for Jorge and Lorenzo next year um, to see what he does because, you know, Ducati may well want to keep Jorge Lorenzo post-2018, but if he's still the number two within his team, they might want to renegotiate that contract a little bit. And um, you can't imagine Jorge Lorenzo being too keen on a pay cut either. Um, So very interesting to see what happens politically within that Ducati team next season, if Jorge is still their number two. And really, the only days where he clearly was the stronger of the two Ducati riders was on Dovizioso's bad days. Um, Jerez was one of them, although Dobby was still up in 5th, so it was hardly a bad day he just wasn't quite as quick as Jorge Saxon Ring, where Dobby was only 8th that wasn't his greatest day, but he still beat Lorenzo Um, and Aragon, where Dobby Cioso was only 7th, of course, that was another weekend where Lorenzo got on the rostrum. Le Mans was the next race then in the season after those first 4 and this was another race Dre, that when I was looking back through the season I almost forgot how good this one was There there were so many great races in the season, I mean Phillip Island, that we get to later in the season, was one of the races of the season in motorsport, period, um, in 2017. But I'd almost forgotten how great the French Grand Prix was, and in particular, the closing few laps to it.
1: Absolutely. The, the last five or so laps are as, as intense as anything you'll ever see in MotoGP. This, it was an unbelievable finale between... I mean, this was kind of hinted at for a while, but it was the first real sighting of the, you know, the alleged fight between Valentino Rossi and Maverick Vinales, the two of them competing head-to-head on near-equal terms for a race victory. This was it, and in that very intense fight, looks like Rossi was the one who blinked first on this one, and this time it was a spectacular final lap accident that put him out of the race. And gave Johan Zarco an unprecedented second place on last year's Yamaha in his first MotoGP podium. But it was an unbelievable race that was. I mean, you had, you you know, an early fight there. You had the Hondas involved early on with uh, Marquez and and Madrosa trying to get into where Marquez falls. But again, it was was Marquez, Rossi and Zarco that dominated that, that race. And took all the stories away from that one. Um, but, but yeah, by any measure, an unbelievable race and a, and a spectacular ending as well. And yeah, Lamont you know, like, is gonna be the it's gonna be the unfortunate, almost really unfortunate, like forgotten race of this incredible season that Lamont is a ten out of ten race in its own right, and no one has spoken about it at all this year. Because Philip and came right at the end. Because like that's the luck of calendar placement where you can have a really great like yeah. race at the end of the year. And it like like if if it's at the end of the year, people are going to remember it more than you know being at the start of the year. But Le Mans was a, it was a freaking spectacular race. And also,
0: because in the context of the championship, it kind of in the end didn't matter um, what happened at Le Mans because we thought at the time, given how Yamaha were dominating early on in 2017, we kind of thought that this was going to be a pivotal race in the championship between Vinales and Rossi, who were one and two in the championship. Heading into this race with Rossi two points ahead. And Rossi was on target to extend that lead. So he got seven points clear of his teammate after chasing him down in those final few laps, setting lap records as he did it um, to close his teammate down and then overtake him before Maverick Vinales pulled out the fastest lap of the Grand Prix and a new lap record at the one on the final lap um, to A, pressure Rossi into a mistake and then basically lead him round the second half of the final lap to the point that Rossi crashed trying to keep up with him um, on that final lap and... Yeah, it was an extraordinary moment of what we thought was, is this a a seminal moment for Valentino Rossi in his quest for number 10? Is this a moment where his quest for 2017 really begins to fade? And you can kind of argue it was. Um, He was absolutely crestfallen after losing that Grand Prix for a couple of reasons. One, that he'd lost that Grand Prix, and also because we know at the time um, Nicky Hayden was fighting for his life um, in hospitals in Italy, and Valentino Rossi was driven to try and win the race um, in tribute to his, his former friend and former rival Nicky Hayden. Um, Nicky Hayden, who, as we told you and we spoke about in our World Superbike season review last week, um, tragically lost his life um, in the period between Le Mans and Mugello. And the whole paddock and the whole sport was rocked around that time of the year um, with Nicky Hayden's uh, passing. Um, But as I mentioned, Valentino Rossi ending up crashing out of that Grand Prix, and it got worse for him in the weeks following Le Mans because he had a training accident before uh, before Mugello where he injured his ribs pretty badly and was at one stage a doubt to take part in his home Grand Prix at Mugello he did take part in the end and qualified on the front row finished fourth Um, but really Valentino Rossi as a championship contender wasn't really the same again in 2017 Uh, Mugello is one of the real jewels in the crown in the MotoGP calendar that hosted round 6 of the season Um, and it looked like business as usual from that point in the season with Yamahas 1 and 2 on the grid um but i think this tray will go down as one of the real turning points in the 2017 season because this was the weekend when michelin brought their new stiffer front tire um to the grand prix it was a front tire that certainly tilted the balance it turned MotoGP really into much more of a strategical race in terms of managing your tires yeah. through a grand prix and really put the premium on who was the most intelligent and who was the cleverest rider at managing their way through a race. Step forward, Andrea de
1: da, 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 da. Uh, y- yep, like, y- you get a rule change and look what happens. Um, <laughs> um, insert Red Bull 2013 Formula One joke here. <laughs> but um, anyway, this is like, yeah, Vigello comes around, home round, and and Dovi wins basically at a cakewalk. I mean, yeah, yeah, again, was never really like under any true pressure from Maverick after he got to the front and kept the pace uh, uh, you know, solid and didn't really have a challenge but um yeah an unbelievable ride from Dovi. and again that was the first race where he saw his intelligence and tactical now come to the forefront he did that so well um that um yeah nobody really had an answer for him in that one Dovi taking a pretty comfortable win from maverick Vinyales in second and wait a minute that's that's a Chicadian fur, but that's 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 not Lorenzo. That's the Nino Petrucci. What the hell is he doing up here? Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't a wet race either. No, it wasn't like what do you mean he's this fast in the dry? <laughs>
0: like
1: this is this is not a regulation tire. Throw it out. Um, but uh, no, the no Petrucci in third and a competitive third as well. It was you know, putting Maverick under pressure towards the end. Um he was you know, super fast out there. Um, on that one, didn't have an answer for him again. Honda were left by the wayside on this one, but and it was the Ducatis and the Yamaha's that stood out the most. Yeah. And you know, shout out to zoto about Bautista as well for that one. He was very strong in that race, a top five finish ahead of Marc Marquez on the, on on that day as well. Speaking of um, Ducatis, yeah, the
0: year old Ducati of Bautista in fifth. Um, yeah, it was <laughs> Ducati Yamaha, Ducati Yamaha, Ducati in that top five. Um, and I mentioned <laughs> earlier on in the show, Dre, about. Um, Maverick Vignard's and perhaps his failure to maximise his bad days in the season and it's amazing when you look back on this season look back on the campaign as a whole and how good in hindsight that sixth place in Mugello looks from Marquez
1: critical it was a critical sixth place not that we knew it at the time but it kind of showed that Marquez had you know finally realized yeah listen let me just get these points that so i can get on like it was, it was, any points are still more valuable than a dnf and after a couple of sloppy races in argentina and monrey was running in good positions and you know if not great positions and then falling off like this is the time he had to get his head screwed back on properly and this was a more valuable sixth place than we, than we figured at the time mm,
0: yeah next round in Catalonia, then which again, was tinged with an element of, of tragedy. Of course, it was the first time MotoGP had raced there uh, since the tragic uh, events of 2016, where, of course, Louis Salon lost his life uh, that weekend. Um, the layout of the circuit hadn't really changed, or it had changed ever slightly, just no one had told Jack Miller um, on Friday uh-huh. uh, as he rode through the wrong chicane. Uh, Jack Miller, it turns out, was slightly ahead of the game because they changed it back to the chicane that he'd been riding down um, for the rest of the weekend. Um, and it was a circuit that, just did not suit the Yamahas in any way, shape, or form. Valentino Rossi had spoken um, quite publicly a year ago how that new chicane just did not suit the Yamahas. Um, And given how old and how worn out the circuit was, the lack of grip didn't suit them either. Um, This was perhaps the worst weekend that Movistar Yamaha had all season. Neither of them qualified in the top 10. And Valentino Rossi, in the end, would only finish 8th. Maverick Vinales, through sheer attrition if nothing else, climbed to 10th. Um, late in the Grand Prix uh, it was an appalling weekend for the factory Yamahas um, and in the end from Yamahas and Ducatis dominating the Hondas came back to the fore uh, in Catalonia with uh, Dani Pedrosa on pole position again um, he <laughs> followed his teammate home second and third for the uh, for the Hondas in that Grand Prix but the same winner um, in Catalonia as we had in Mugello, and it was kind of changing wasn't it Dre because after Mugello, we looked at that so win. It's a bit of a feel-good moment. It was like, "Hey, Dobby's got his due at last. He's got his home Grand Prix." And then when he won again seven days later, we started to take him a lot more seriously.
1: It's so, like, "Hang on, is he actually going to have a shot at winning this championship?" Nah. But yeah, absolutely right. It was it was the sort of situation where you look at you look at Dobby and you go, "Oh, hang on a minute, this this is no fluke. Like he's he's clearly got something." Because again, Catalonia low grip. High, extremely high tire wear around Catalina. um it's a, it's a track that eats tires, and um, he was yes yeah.
0: toying with the Hondas in the first half of that race.
1: Yeah, toying yeah. with them, rode super comfortably, got to the front, didn't look back, absolutely destroyed the field, and did it in dominating fashion. Hondas like Marquez and Pedrosa settled for second and third, a distant second and third on the day. Um, and yeah, absolutely right. Um, yeah, just just completely dominant from uh, uh, yeah from from Dovi on that one. Yeah, like, and again, as you as you say, Honda back up to the front as well. Um, with another solid performance on low grip conditions and yeah just uh, after that happened the sky was the limit for Honda but yeah Dovi had arrived
0: he had back-to-back victories for Andrea so in MotoGP things we didn't expect to be saying um back in June um on to Assen then for, for round eight of the season and Assen's one of those circuits that whatever time in the season no matter what kind of season you're having in MotoGP Assen always delivers and this is another trait, another of those races that was absolutely brilliant at the time, but we kind of forget um, back now, which there were so many stories to this. Joan Zarco's first ever pole position uh, that weekend um, uh-huh. for Tech 3, taking pole position. And he was right in the thick of the battle for the victory as well. Um, the four-way fight for the lead before Zarco was kind of conned by the uh, the white flags and flag-to-five rules into pitting and changing bikes as he chased a, uh, a fairy tale result. Um, we had Mark, Mark, we had Maverick Vinales, who was still championship leader at that point, crashing out of the Grand Prix, his second crash of the season. Um, and, in the end, a result that, given that it's Assen, we shouldn't have been surprised at. A Valentino Rossi victory. Um, one of many victories. I think that was his tenth victory around Assen over the course of his career. Indeed. Incredibly, his only win of the season. Um, but, it was a key one for him at that point, because at this stage, we still had the five championship contenders well and truly in the shakeup and this was one of those weekends where we looked at Balenciaga Rossi thinking, well, if he's going to have any kind of championship hope, he's got to win at an Assen. And in the end, he just about did it.
1: You did indeed. And uh, yeah, it was, it was he needed to keep his slim chances alive there. I mean, it says a lot about about the race itself. When Dovi came out and said, I was thinking about the championship by finishing the, in a measly fifth.
0: Um,
1: yeah, it was it was a crazy race. A lot of rain. I mean, again, as you say, another one of those forgotten races because it happened towards the middle of the year. But Assen was another classic. Valentino Rossi, had uh, yeah, Rossi, you know, um, Dovi, Marquez, Zarco, Petrucci, all in the mix for the win. Two separate groups did that fantastic. I mean, yeah, we we were denied a super dramatic finale due to you know maybe some shenanigans. With, uh, the rarely thing heard about a MotoGP backmarkers, yeah. uh, but. Uh, Despite that, we also had a a fantastic late race fight between uh, Crutchlow, Dovi and Marquez for the last spot on the podium, which an incredibly brave Marquez won with a a death-defying penultimate corner dive on, on, on Crutchlow in the wet on the final lap, championship on the balance. He's a braver man than me, Mark. I'll say. I'll say that much. But uh, even Crutchler apparently saluted him after yeah. the race. And said, "Yeah, I'll never have had the balls to try something like that." Basically, but um, a, a, a fantastic race. And again, it's a shame it's not been talked about in quite the same way as um, as maybe races like Phillip Island the ones towards the end of the year. But still, another absolute classic MotoGP race. as it, a must-watch. Go get the video, pass already, It's a bloody Euro <laughs> I like for like the winter. <laughs> For the winter, go buy yeah, it. Yeah, now, go get it. Bro. Go
0: get it. You, you've you've got our encouragement, and yeah, there are, there are so many reasons through the season review to uh to watch it. So many classic Grand Prix. Um, yeah, Aston is one that I still have on my uh my TiVo box at home that I, I go back and watch every now and again because it was a brilliant, brilliant Grand Prix. Um, and it was another near miss for Danilo Petrucci in the end, wasn't it, Dre? I mean, he had um several podiums as it goes through the season. He had four of them, including two second places, and both of his second places were. Second place is where he went into the final lap with a real chance of winning the Grand Prix outright. And um, it's one of the things that it's one of the few regrets I suppose I have from this season, Dre. One of them being that Zarko didn't win a Grand Prix. But given what he put into some of these, particularly those rain affected races, there's still a mental element of regret to me that
1: Petrucci still hasn't won one yet. It's a real shame because he is so so good in wet conditions that you know, and of course, this was the real year where he we first went, okay, Danilo's actually pretty good in the dry too. I mean, uh, Catalina was a race, he was running right top five before he crashed. He had that dry podium at Magello finishing third. This was a, uh, this was like, Danilo would probably be breakout star of the year if it wasn't for Johan Bloody Zarco. <laughs> two spots <laughs> ahead of him. Because Petrucci, again, as you mentioned, had four podiums this season. And if he was finishing in a race without shenanigans, he'd be in the top yeah, eight that's most more of the podiums that Lorenzo had. Exactly, he did a brilliant job of basically you know, justifying having the third GP17 on the grid because he did a very good job with what he was given. I mean, many people say that basically Petrucci was being a test dummy for that GP17 on the third bike right up until Magello, which of course he, he puts it on the podium. <laughs> Funny that. Yeah. But, yeah. um,. Yeah, Petrucci was was well, yeah. he's a real shame because he came very close to winning on three separate occasions, and you know one of the guys that was very unfortunate not to win a race. And um, but again, did a, did a very very good job indeed. And again, deserved deserve the win for some of the effort he had put in on those on those tight situations and in those very closely contested wet races towards the end of the year, and then ones in the middle of the year as well. And again, a fantastic season. Just a real shame he hasn't got that ultimate. Um, flag piece um, to, to take away from it, but still a year where Petrucci has you know, truly arrived on the Grand Prix scene now. Yeah, the Dutch TT
0: at was also notable for events further down the field. That was the first weekend where we saw Sam Lowe's getting into Q2 um, for the Aprilia team, one of the another one I've forgotten moments this season, a sensational Q1 result uh, for Sam Lowe's, where he made it into Q2 at the expense of his teammate. Alecia Spargaro. Um, It was kind of coming at a stage where Sam Lowe's very spot within that Prettier team and the MotoGP class was coming under a bit of question. Given that the team were starting to run out of faith in Lowe's, he'd had a steady start to life in MotoGP, was being given inferior equipment to his teammate. We also saw in Catalunya where there was a bit of a public falling out with the team where Sam Lowe's bike wasn't ready for Q1 and he qualified towards the back of the field as a result. I mean... (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's kind of lucky in this sense that Bex isn't on this show uh, this week uh, to talk about Sam Lowe's in a previous season, Dre, but uh, when I look at Sam Lowe's for this season, and I think of the season as a whole, I'm trying to think to myself, we were looking into this season thinking, how good will Sam Lowe's be on a MotoGP bike? I don't still think we know the answer.
1: No, um, and I don't think, I'm not sure if we ever will now, and it's, it's, it's a shame because like, if you get booted out of MotoGP, it's very hard to get back in. Damaged goods. Uh, yeah, you're damaged goods, and Lowe's definitely came out of that a prettier situation, the worst. Um, which is a shame because, I mean, he had a lot of valuable people back for him in this corner, as much as the British press always seemed to do anyway. Alicia Spagro his own teammate, mm. spoke about, mm. you know, about what a great teammate Sam was and how much of a fighter he was and how much of a, of a professional Sam Lowe's was in his time of inner team. And this is a guy that, you know, we've criticised in the past for maybe, you know, criticising speed up a bit too hard in his time over there and, you know, maybe coming across as a bit petulant over there. But in this case, he had a genuine case to be a bit hacked off, and to say the least um a pretty had been very questionable about many aspects of their team from their lofty expectations of oh yeah we think we should be winning races this year <laughs> what um to often to as you mentioned before about not having the bike ready for sam and, uh, and you know thinking about dumping him after just six races and well by the time the break came man, it was pretty much public knowledge that they were already um flirting with scott redding to replace that seat, which he ended up doing so a couple of rounds later. That um, was an official announcement. And next thing you know, Lowe's is back in Moto2 again, which is just a real shame. Because I don't think Lowe's was ever really given a fair chance to see where he was. I mean, most guys that are rookies get two years. Lowe's had basically four races. You, and, and like you've got Alicia Spagaro, who is basically the great bringer-upper of mediocre bikes um, in MotoGP in recent times as well. And he wasn't—he was great this season. He had a very, very solid year for an a bike that, let's be honest, wasn't very good. Um, yeah. So when you, factor, when you factor all of that in. It's just a bad freaking look for Aprilia, and I, I genuinely have a level of empathy for Sam Lowe's because he did the best with what he was given. I don't think people expected him to be amazing by any stretch, but if your team has lost faith in you from practically day one, um, what chance have you really got? Um,
0: yeah, because it, it appeared it, it, with the approach Aprilia were taking early doors with giving Sam Lowe's sort of inferior equipment to Aleish, that they were allowing him to ease his way in to MotoGP and be patient with him. So for them to run out of time with him and run out of patience with him so quickly, it was almost as if they were asking him one thing but expecting something else, um, which really just did not work for a and didn't work for Sam. And in terms of the team as a whole, Dre, um, I mean... (laughs) They finished bottom of the Manufacturers Championship this year, Aprilia, and that means they finished below the newcomers, KTM, who we'll talk about in a second, who came on strong so well towards the end of the season, just got better and better and better as the season went on. But you could argue that the best weekend or the best we ever saw from Aprilia was Alacia Sparger in race one.
1: Right, the opening round where he was running up the front and eventually would finish in sixth, which... For all intents and purposes, was a prettiest joint best result of the year. Only another sixth place at Aragon, being the other time he'd match it. But uh without a doubt, a pretty one of the prettiest best rides since coming back into MotoGP as a factory team. And as you say, Alicia Spagaro, through no fault of his own and through no real fault, of Sam Lowe's was basically putting the entire team on his back in 2017. And this was a team that thought they were ch- they could challenge for wins. What sort of delusion was coming out of their camp if those if their factory guys were genuinely believing they they would go from, you know, you know, occasional top ten runners and maybe the bottom of the factory teams into being a race winner? And now you've got Sam Lowes. I mean, it, it it was seemingly doomed from the start. Like a level of arrogance, a level of you know. Incompetence from the team that made, you know, many a critical mistake and harmed their own riders in the process, you know. And when it comes to a point where Alicia Spagaro has to go public to the press to defend his teammate, like his own teammate, um, you know, he had more faith in Sam than his bloody team did, and that's that's the guy you're competing against. None of this made any sense. Uh, Alicia Spagaro is a better man than I am, but. Boy, Aprilia was a mess all year long and, you know, a season of few positives, especially off the track from a level of professionalism.
0: Handled themselves poorly off track and competed pretty poorly on it, it has to be said, um, through 2017. As I mentioned, they were beaten in the Manufacturers Championship by KTM, who got themselves into Q2 at Le Mans, did it again at the Saxon ring, which is the next round we're going to come to um, in our review of the season, where Paulus Margro got their equal best qualifying result of the season when he qualified 7th. Uh, for the German Grand Prix at the Saxon Ring. Um, and this is a team which, under the radar early on, suddenly became very big on the radar as the season went on and did a fantastic job in 2017, almost to the point, Dre, that by the end of the season we almost forgotten that they were in their first year.
1: Absolutely. KTM were, were exceptional. They, you know, they got better and better as the year went on, which you kind of expect from a new team, of course. It says a lot that Paul Spagher had to take an engine penalty on that final round in Valencia. Not because of reliability, but because they had run through so many engine upgrades. Like, Polar Spagro had used all of his nine-engine allowance for the year. He was on engine number 10, that to basically start the race from the pit yeah, they lane. They transformed their bikes so much that their old engines wouldn't fit in the new chassis. <laughs> That's the first I've ever heard of that in any form of... Yeah, yeah sorry, we've changed it so much, the old engine won't fit, we have to build a new one. Sorry about that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah as you say KTM got stronger and stronger as the year went by to the point where Pol Espargaró was was it was in the top 12 on a regular basis and was clawing that team up again as when the the, the greatest team was basically not finishing bottom of the Manufacturers Championship. They were better than Aprilia and they deserved to be better than Aprilia because they did have a more balanced team. Um, a, ba- a balanced team, a team that got better as the year went on, multiple Q2 appearances, multiple top 10 finishes, some really strong rides on polar Spagger I think as a low-key rider of the year contender, given his work for KTM this year. And yeah, an, in- an incredible year for them and again, like a lot to look forward to and Oh god, they've they've got a really frigging talented set of potential riders underneath them in lower classes too. They've got everything. Yeah, they've got absolutely
0: everything. And yeah, it's 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 a good point to make actually because they've made so much progress. And inevitably, given how competitive it is and how strong the opposition is, the more the further up you get, the harder it is to make any further progress. But it is worth asking Dre when we reconvene twelve months from now for our twenty eighteen season review, where on earth might KTM be?
1: They could be thinking about top sixes. For sure, like I mean, they've they've got to be thinking now. Okay, we're in the top ten. You've got to be thinking: can we get into the top? Can we be top again? Can we beat the the, like the maybe the big hitter independents? Yeah, I think I think it's a genuine
0: goal for them to be top four next year. I mean, they were fifth this year. I mean, surely they've got to be targeting Suzuki first off next year.
1: That wouldn't be a bad aim. I mean, again, they were only thirty points behind Suzuki for the entire season, so it's like they're not a million miles away and they're not going to scratch the big three anytime soon of course but suzuki is a is an achievable target they're if they can crack 100 points as a team next year they'll be up there and again i think that is doable a lot of that suzuki strength came at the end of the year so yeah if ktm keeps this up and they keep getting better there's no reason to think they might not be able to do it. I mean, Suzuki is, a, is definitely an achievable aim for them in 2018, for sure. They won't just be me earning one of their
0: uh, caps uh, this time next year. Um, but uh, the next round on our, our review, then, before we uh, reach our, our sort of mid-season break for this, this podcast, and we'll, uh, we'll chuck some music in to split that up, um, is the German Grand Prix, final round before the summer break. Um, another round, which, um, to all intents and purposes, is in Mar- Marquez Banker, uh, And it was... Uh, Mark Marquez winning the race, his eighth consecutive German Grand Prix win at the Saxon Ring from his eighth consecutive pole position at said circuit. Um, But it's fair to be said, Dre, that he was pushed harder for this one than he was in any of his seven previous German Grand Prix wins. And he was pushed hard by that brilliant Tech 3 rookie. No, the other one.
1: Well, you mean there was more than one in that team this year? Oh, wait, Jonas Volga was here. Great. Um, Yeah, like, who saw that one coming? If it wasn't for Sean uh,
0: Tarker, we'd be talking about Volga as one of the great rookie seasons ever.
1: Yeah, like, Jonas Volga did not race in the last four rounds, had a did-not-start-insult-due-to-injury, and still scored 84 points, beating the likes of Miller, Bautista, Ian Oney, Scott Redding, some quality names there he was in front of this year. Volga... Was, had a fantastic season by all accounts and again it, it's Zarko was just so unbelievable that like it's kind of made Volga look worse by default but again in a vacuum his rookie season was fantastic and this was this was the chariot of the fastest lap of the race and a second place and very very nearly the, the first home winning Grand Prix motorcycle racing for Germany I think since the 80s um, Volga was sensational that day the, uh, the closest Marquez has come to losing that streak in quite some time, I'm after I'm not Triple H after this one, but um, a, a, a brilliant performance from Volga again, fast all the way through. Tried it, just didn't quite have enough to keep up with Marcus overall 32 laps or so, but an incredible effort, and again the the uh, the coup de grace of uh, Volga's brilliant season. Um, was that second place uh, and, and worthy indeed. A br- brilliant drop mm. from the Yeah, floor.
0: I mean, absolutely tremendous. Yeah, as you said, he set the fastest lap on his way to second. Also set the fastest lap in Catalonia on his way to sixth. Um, he was sixth mm-hmm. in Argentina too. It's just his second race in MotoGP and 10th in the championship for Jonas Folger, um, which was absolutely tremendous. Um, it's interesting because at the moment, um, in my other capacity as uh, as a writer for the checkered flag, we, we're doing our annual uh, TCF picks, which is where we pick our rider and our team and our race of the season um spoiler alert um my team of the season is once the Yamaha Tech 3 um in all of motorsport and it's it's hard to argue in MotoGP Dre given the resources that every team has at their disposal that pound for pound (laughs) did anyone do a better job this year than Tech 3?
1: They're the force in the year of MotoGP like nobody does more with quote unquote less than 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 Tech 3 does because I mean Poncherol has been very candid about talking that you know they're not a factory team and they're never ever going to have anything close to the level of resources that you know the the, the factory boys are ahead of them and they're really the only guys ahead of Tech Three at this point. I mean, like Tech Three were fourth overall in the teams standings this year. They had 258 points all in, and only Repsol Movie Star and and Ducati's factory team had more than they did this year. Um, nobody's done more with less. Zarco was incredible. Jonas Volga was, was was sensational in his own right. And we mentioned this earlier in the show that, yeah, Poncharles just has this incredible knack for talent. And not only that, but it's also a situation where, you know, they they, they don't have the firepower that, that Yamaha as that a factory do, and yet the guy that always stood on everybody's lips right there was Johan Zarco. And Zarko was the guy that spearheaded their season, pretty much. And, yeah, like it, he's in a constant battle to keep selling. Again, he was criticized for this gamble. Like, he, he gambled on two rookies because he lost an incredibly strong team in Paul De and Bradley Smith and came back with one that was just as good, if not maybe a little bit better like, in terms of raw potential. I mean, Zarko's going to go into 2018 as a real one-to-watch threat for, maybe maybe as a title contender, if Yamaha's got something half decent underneath them. So for me, I completely agree. I think Tech 3 would be a very valuable name for team of the year because has done a sensational job this season and Johann Zarko has been arguably one of the biggest stars to come out of bike racing this yeah, year.
0: And Polga, as I mentioned, had his day at the Saxon ring and we, we still wish him very well as he looks to get himself back to full health after a dreadful autumn um, with illness. Um, but yeah they, they embarrassed the factory team on several occasions six times this year. Tech 3 were the first Yamaha team across the finish line in a Grand Prix. Um, six out of a third of the season, um, Tech 3 were ahead of the factory Yamaha squad, um, which is absolutely incredible. Um, but as far as the Saxon ring goes, as I mentioned, Dre, it was a Mark Marquez show in the end. He won that Grand Prix. And this was really the start of the Marquez charge towards the title that he would ultimately win later in the season. Because from the Saxon ring onwards, Marquez was always either winning the Grand Prix um, or challenging for the victory and being denied on the final lap this was really the start of the Marquez charge wasn't
1: it it really was I mean I mean, I think Neil Hodgson in that, in that great 10 minute sit down he had with Marquez and it was around that sort of time towards the end of the year but he realized yeah this is this is where Marquez opened the can I mean he followed up the Saxon ring with that astonishing flag-to-flag victory in Bruno where you know he just won a Grand Prix by 20 seconds as you do um and we even talked about this last week about the tactical nature of it where he deliberately went to the back of the field um so that the the other rivals could see that he had changed bikes the man's a genius it's like it's like he he is on windows 10 where everybody else is basically still on windows 95 it's one of those things where he just has a level of nouse for these conditions that nobody else has got as sofa race, I quite rightly put it in the land of the blind. The one-eyed Marquez is king, um, and it, it, again, this is where he opened the can. Where to close the year? I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The last nine races, like five, like the last ten races, five victories and two other, three other podium finishes, and only really the, the Sepang race in fourth and the engine failure at Silverstone, whereas it was he was off the podium, like that sort of form is incredibly hard to beat um so yeah when, whenever you look at it it's it this is when marquez opened the can and it paid off beautifully yeah, andre
0: devicioso had a, had a poor race it has to be said uh, at the Sachsenring, ring he finished down in eighth place because he went into that race leading the championship um but as it was martin marquez took that championship lead away from him <laughs> with victory at the Sachsenring. ring he still led the championship from vinales Vizioso and Rossi with Pedroza in close attention in fifth at the halfway stage in the season and after this short musical break we will rejoin you to look back on the second half starting as Dre mentioned with the brilliance of Marquez of Brunel. With us on Bike Live, let's look back then on the second half of the season, starting with that sensational Marquez victory at Bruneau, where, as Dre mentioned, um, he frankly made them all look amateurish in flag-to-flag conditions, Um, winning the race by uh, the thick end of 20 seconds. In fact, he was 22 seconds clear by the time everyone had changed bikes early in that Grand Prix, Um, Mark Marquez. And it's an amazing (laughs) string to have to your bow, isn't it, Dre, where... Pretty much now, in in current MotoGP, if we have a flag-to-flag race, it's pretty much a Marquez given, isn't it?
1: He's won all of them, hasn't he? I'm pretty sure he's won all of them. Um, Like, ever since the rule came into effect, I think it it was was 2014 that came into play. It seems
0: as if he has has this level of confidence and just freakish level of talent that on slick tyres, on a dampish track, he's able to not only keep the bike upright but also carry a level of pace and confidence that no other rider has the confidence to match um and you know we'll talk about it more in detail in a second how the Yamaha teams and the Ducati teams seemingly left it way too long um, before changing their bikes but you could almost argue that they were leaving it until a quote-unquote normal times change bikes and Marquez is just so freakishly good that he can just change his bike earlier and get away with it
1: and that's the key. Like, like on by any case, if you, a dry bike is about ten seconds a lap faster than a wet one in these flag to flag conditions. And simply put, if you can handle those slippery conditions, and when you when you're first back on the bike, if you can handle that, that you and you let the track come to you as time goes on, you're going to win. Like, it, like so, I still remember the Saxon ring last season where. Like Marquez was the first to blink, but I remember Scott Reddin and Polar Spagaro came in the same lap. Reddin unfortunately put on intermediates and that screwed him over. But Polar Spagaro came out the same lap as Marquez did, but Paul binned it three corners later, and Paul would have had a guaranteed second place if if, if he'd been able to keep that bike
0: afloat. Yeah, and that and that's but, the yeah. point, isn't it? It's almost like we could easily yeah. criticise um, Yamaha and Ducati, and to be fair, even even by the standards that they left it, they did leave it too long. But you can almost argue, if we were to question Valentino Rossi, Maverick Vinales, Andrea Divizioso, Jorge Lorenzo, those two teams, and say to them, why did you not change when Marquez changed? Their answer would probably be, because if I did, I'd crash.
1: Exactly, because Marquez has got such a level of confidence, um, such a level of just shit freakish talent on these changeable conditions and changing conditions races where um, as we all know and and, an unprecedented ability to not crash in races quite so (laughs) damn much but when you combine all of that into play if you can afford to come in a lap earlier you will win and you will significantly clear the bikes in front of you because as we mentioned a drier bike is worth 10 seconds and and, and, in in an OGP race 10 seconds is a chasm Mm. so The only fact that I play, that's why Marquez has won every single flag-to-flag race we've had to date because he just has a level of confidence to be able to be faster that nobody else has got, really. And it's also why Ones Volga could have been up there as well, but he was nailed by a nasty bike change um, and teams were just unprepared for it. And that's, again, like it doesn't take much, but it's enough to put Marquez out in front and that was critical for the championship. It was.
0: And um, yeah, there's no question that the Yamaha and Ducati probably couldn't change their bikes at the same time because they just simply didn't have the ability to make that strategy work at the same time as Marquez. That said, Dre, they still probably did leave it a tad too long um, and probably lost, in terms of Valentino Rossi, a guaranteed second place. Um, Valentino Rossi learning the same lesson, much like Davizioso did um, at that Grand Prix, that he'd learned a couple of years prior at Mizano and the year prior at the Saxon Ring. Um, whereas if your team are telling you on your pit board to box it has it pays to
1: listen doesn't it yeah like part of the problem with these team order situations is that hey you can put it on a pit ball, but there's no guarantee the rider will listen to it and valentino rossi's had that problem for years where it seems like every single time there's been a flag to flag race dot 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 dramatic pause rossi seems to ignore his team's advice does his own thing and every single time it's been proven that if he had listened he would, he would have been much higher up than where he ends up finishing. It cost that,
0: him a world title. I'd go as far to say yes. Luzano, where if he'd won that Grand Prix, if he'd changed when Marquez, changed, and he left, he left it way yeah, too Mar- long.
1: Yeah, that, that leading group of three, Marquez was the first to blink, and he destroyed everybody. Lorenzo bins it, and Rossi ends up like like half a minute down the road because Marquez was able to change two laps earlier. It, 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 it definitely cost Valentino a world title. Or at least a, it was a significant factor in that.
0: Yeah, it was. And, uh, and he, he made that same mistake, as I mentioned, at Bruneau when he was probably the fastest man on track when he rejoined the circuit. But by that point, he was way too back down the field. Finished fourth in the end, the 3 4 for Yamaha um, in that race. And one of only two occasions, I think, in 2017, where Maverick Vinales and Mark Marquez shared a rostrum in the whole campaign. Philip Island later in the year being the other, um, where they were first and third. Um, Marquez then in the lead of the championship, leaving Bruneau and really in control of it after Andrea Vizioso. Um, The other rider, as I mentioned, to leave his bike chase too late, finished down in sixth. Um, So the Ducati challenge was arguably fading, but true uh, to form and basically in the perfect timing of the calendar, a Ducati banker track was up next, the Red Bull Ring uh, at Austria. Um, They dominated this Grand Prix, it has to be said, a year prior when Andrea Iannone returned them to the winner's Circle after six years um, without a victory, leading that Ducati 1-2 from Davizioso in second place um 12 months on though, rate um
1: Ducati would win again in Austria but it would be far from easy 10 out of 10 race alert 10 out of 10 race alert this is another forgotten classic um go watch this one too um yes this was another tremendous friggin race um and again it, it was it was Lorenzo it was Marquez it was it was Dovi in there obviously we'll at the end and and, and like Last year, obviously Ducati won pretty easy, and it ended up being a civil war between the two Andreas for the win. This time around, Marquez would would be a very significant threat. I mean, again, the walking proof that Honda's big bang engine and their you know their acceleration upgrades had worked a treat because we were on this track, which was all about brute force and you know pure acceleration, basically Marquez was able to trade counter punches with Dovi all race long, and again, as a result, we got another fantastic classic moto gp grand prix and a fantastic to final corner showdown between dovi and marquez and wait dovi won that one yeah. too um <laughs> damn it he really is legit yeah, and amazing, uh...
0: isn't it? this was the time of the season certainly for i'd say from my point of view i think for many others and probably from dovi's point of view where we genuinely started to take him seriously as a title threat and genuinely started to believe because mar marquez is a formidable rider to race against wheel to wheel on track he's he's aggressive he's you know, he's able to take lines and break later than just about anybody can, and that was a real feature of this Austrian Grand Prix, which made it so fascinating is that the Ducati was so strong on the straights, particularly in sector 1 and 2, yet the Honda was so good at the end of the straights on the brakes that Marquez was able to basically pull back that advantage, and that third sector with the two left-handers, Marquez was regularly pulling just bite-lengths out of Davizioso's Vizioso's lead, and pulling him right back yeah. in. It was a fantastic battle of cat and mouse, and the toing and froing between the two, and as I mentioned, Mark Marquez is such a formidable rider to beat in a wheel-to-wheel battle, yet André De Vizioso just seemed mentally to be one step ahead of him. And Marquez, we kind of knew that that last gasp dive-bomb move was coming, um, and André De Vizioso, crucially, also saw it coming.
1: Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was it was it was one of those things where again Dovi showed his intelligence like he 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 saw it was coming Marquez said after the race listen I had to try it like I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I didn't try it um but Dovi saw it coming like again like, that's the, that that if he pulled that off that would have been up there with Catalonia 2009 quite frankly um in terms of sheer ridiculous overtakes that you would never have seen coming from a million hours away but Dovi's a more intelligent man than we give him credit for because he saw it coming, deliberately ran it a little bit wider, and then got the cut back. And, and obviously, that acceleration was, what, was what, for the Ducati, which is obviously just so good was what ultimately won it for him in the end. And yeah, quite rightly so, a deserved victory for Dovi. But again, like the big reason why he won that was because he saw the Marquez dive bomb at the final corner coming. Now, remember, that's a tighter final corner at Austria; it's not the Formula One final corner that we often see. Guys take every liberty on earth with. It's actually a tighter. Um, it's, it's a tighter MotoGP specialized right hander, so it's even slower than it looks. So the fact that Marquez was able to stick it and, and there was and not go off into the gravel. And the fact that Dovi was able to time it, just impeccable riding the it pair was, of and One, them, one white of the friends.
0: abiding images of the season of Di His little wave of the hand at Mark Marquez as he rode back past him is almost just to say, yeah, get back in your place, zombie. I'm winning this Grand, uh, this Grand Prix. And uh, that was almost, to me, as, as significant as the way it was. Do- Dovi pu- uh, puffing his chest out and saying to Mark Marquez, you know, I'm, I'm your equal here and I'm, I'm prepared to go wheel to wheel with you right to the edge and beat you. Um and that was what he did in that Grand Prix. A crucial victory for Davizioso. Um in a round where we kind of thought, well if Gikatti don't win here, then their championship hopes really are starting to fade. Davizioso pulled it out of the bag. Winning that Grand Prix um, Silverstone was next up, and this was a Grand Prix that we weren't really expecting the best of Ducati from, um, given that it's a circuit that doesn't necessarily play to their strengths. it has got a lot of long, fast corners, which um, the front end of that Ducati still struggles to get around. Um, and Divizioso wasn't expected to win that Grand Prix after qualifying either. He was pretty much the fifth favourite for this one, uh, with the factory Yamahas, as well as Marc Marquez, and Cal Crutchlow, home favourite, looking very, very strong uh, on race pace. Crutchlow in the end would finish fourth in that Grand Prix um, on the LCR Honda. Um, a strong showing uh, from him. Um, just behind the two factory outhars and the winner, once again, Andrea Vizioso Where was Mark Marquez? I hear you asking. Well, Dre, did I hear you a minute ago talking about Honda and their big bang engine?
1: Well, it see, the bang. thing is that. Yeah, the thing is, like, normally that's metaphorical, not <laughs> literal. Um, and unfortunately, the whole thing did go bang for Mark Marquez with a few laps to go in that one. And I like again, spoiler alert, this is another 10 out of 10 quality race. Um, this is another one where again, drama all the way through the race, a uh, big leading group all the it's way through. Such and God, it, I, yeah,
0: it's such tension to it. With yeah. Rossi leading for three quarters of it, uh, I mean, taking the lead at the start, with that group of Vinales, Davizioso, Marquez, and Crutchlow right behind him. Right throughout the race. It was one of those races where you were just waiting to it, waiting for it to explode, no pun intended. Um, and, it, and, it, and it did in the end in the form of Mark Marquez. And, you know, it might happen with much more frequency in other forms of motorsport, dot, dot, dot. Um, but in MotoGP, a Honda engine failure is very, very rare. Um, an engine failure, period, with any motorcycle is very, very rare. Um, but it was a huge moment, wasn't it? Because this was a race that Mark Marquez looked like he was, he, I wouldn't say he had it under control, but he was certainly riding within himself, Uh, in that leading group and just waiting for the moment to pounce. Um, And in the end, Davizioso and Ducati were handed a bit of a guilt-edged opportunity to take the championship lead back. And once again, Dovi took it.
1: Indeed. The golden chalice was laid in front of him as Maverick wasn't really a contender at this point in time. He was a distant third in the championship. And Marquez, again, Honda's first engine-based retirement since Philippa Island 2007. So, again, you'd you'd, you'd have to go back literally a decade for the last Honda engine failure. So, of course, it hits hits Marquez in the middle of a title race, of course. Um, So, yeah, Dovi was given a golden chance to really do some damage to Marquez's championship lead, and he did. And this really was the race where if anybody had any compelling arguments left for how Dovi wasn't a title contender, this was the one to erase any doubts. He had arrived, he was here, and all of a sudden he was a real contender for, for the championship. So this was
0: a race, um, certainly from being there that weekend and following all the practice sessions and whatnot, this was a race that on paper he should not have won. Um, it was a race that he said himself after free practice and qualifying he was not expecting to win. Um, he was very much the underdog going in, and yet he made it happen. He pulled it out of the fire for Jacati. In a Grand Prix where, as I say, before the race started, he was probably the fifth favorite to win that race. And on practice performance and on race pace, he was genuinely probably the fifth best guy in the field. Yet he he made it happen on race day. He took advantage of a bit of fortune with Mark Marquez and the blow up. But once that happened and he knew there was an opportunity to take a 25 point bite out of Mark Marquez's championship, he went out there and took it and um, won that Grand Prix with another great tactical showy. Um, just leaving it until about four laps from home before striking and overtaking Valentino Rossi and then managing it from there even with a late flourish from Maverick Vinales which saw him finish a close second behind the Ducati rider this weekend was probably the best we saw from Cal Crutch all season although he did have that podium in Argentina um Silverstone was probably the best we saw from him competitively and that he was a competitive fourth and was in that leading group for the win for a lot of that Grand Prix um but in terms of his season, Dre uh, Cal Crutchlow's. I mean, he finishes the season ninth in the championship. Of course, he didn't hit the same heights of twenty sixteen, where of course he won twice and only one podium. Um, but I wouldn't go as far as to say that Cal Crutchlow had a bad season, did he? In many ways, he was a victim of the the rise of Tech Three.
1: Yeah, probably the biggest victim, and just a more, just generally a more competitive top six, and yeah. He was probably the biggest sufferer of that. Nino Petrucci was great, had moments of brilliance. So did Volga. So did Zarco. Lorenzo was a little bit lower, but was still consistently a little bit better than him. Dovi was a, was a much more consistent. So, because Dovi had always been a good yardstick for Cal, because they were often about the same in terms of ability and whatnot. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I wouldn't say this was a bad season for Cal. Um, I think this was about right, but... This is The problem, problem is, is that the British media was starting to talk about Cal as if he was an alien. And I remember in the intro for the season, he, they, they put him in with the aliens. And I'm like, are we sure this is a good idea? And he did regress a, a little bit back to the mean for Cal Crutchlow. But not really that he was bad. It was just I think he was probably the biggest victim of, you know, Crutchlow being a guy that would often hover around the top six or so. So the fact he fell to ninth was probably more a brighter sign of MotoGP's better competitive balance, um, as opposed to maybe something a bit more troubling about his form. As opposed to that, instead, so that, like, at least that's the impression that I get. I think Cal was was victim of a of a more competitive. Yeah, I think that's fair as well. Cause he had he had three fourths and three
0: fifths this year. Um, so he only, might have only had the one rostrum, but he was knocking on the door of the Rostrum on six other occasions um, in 2017, and just didn't quite uh, get over the line for it. Um, but as you say, he kind of did refer, revert back to the old Callan that he had five DNFs in 2017, and two other races where he crashed, remounted, and made it to the finish in the uh, bottom end of the points. Um, those races coming in uh, Mizano, where he fell twice and still finished 13th. Um, and uh, Malaysia late in the season where he crashed and finished 15th as well. Um, there were weekends where Cal reverted back to the Cal that we knew a few years ago, where he just happened to find the gravel trap a little too often. Um, but a solid enough season for Cal Crouch, So in and Silverstone, you can argue, was the highlight of it, even if he didn't quite make it uh, to the rostrum that weekend. Um, Mizano came next then, the final six races of the season. We still technically had the four championship contenders here, um, with just 26 points covering Vizioso, Marquez, Vinales and Valentino Rossi. Yet before a wheel was even turned in Mazzano, that would become three as Valentino Rossi was ruled out of his home Grand Prix due to another training accident. This one um, causing a broken tibia (laughs) and fibula, um, which ruled him out of his home Grand Prix. And um, it was a sad way for Valentino Rossi's championship challenge for the year to eventually end Dre. Um, But it's fair to say Valentino Rossi was on the fringes of the title battle throughout the campaign.
1: Yeah, it always looked like after the first six or seven rounds that Rossi was more chasing the guys that were consistently just doing better than him. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It was sad to see that, you know, Rossi... Basically, fell on his sword or, in this case, his leg. Um, in terms of, the, in terms of the title fight that was in front of him, and he just didn't. I just don't think he had the legs. Pardon the pun here. I apologize sincerely, Valentino. <laughs> <That's> <that's laughs> <it. clears throat> um, I just don't think he had it in him really to keep up with Dovi and his own teammate in Maverick as well as Marquez as the season went on. Like that Yamaha was just not capable of winning races in the second half of the season. Like there was, they did not win a race after the summer break period and if you're not winning races you're not going to win the championship and Rossi would just won for that for the whole year Maverick you know after winning in Le Mans didn't win again all season which was basically 14 rounds afterwards or he's not won since um this was when Yamaha's problems combined with Valentino Rossi getting injured that effectively ended the season for, for Valentino and for Yamaha in general not that we knew it at the time but yeah it was just very much a a somber end to another another season where Rossi's chasing number 10, and it just didn't quite happen. It yeah, didn't quite happen
0: for him at the end, and he lost fourth in the championship at the final round to Danny Pedrosa, who won that final race, Rossi dropping to fifth. Um, so fifth in the championship at the end of it, Dre, for Valentino Rossi, certainly lower than he would have been expecting or hoping to finish at the start of the campaign. Um, but much like Maverick Vinales, uh, who we discussed earlier in the show, how much of Valentino Rossi's problems in 2017 were bike related, and how many of them were Rossi related?
1: Um, yes. <laughs> um. <laughs> is it a 50-50 whole... split there, or were more of his problems related to the bike he was sat on? See, this is the hard thing about it now. It's like, well, how bad was it when Maverick? Like, how much of it is the bike when Maverick was still better than him last year? And you know, Maverick did, you know, despite maybe a little bit of, um, you know, you, you know, the forty of you for a little bit of immaturity. Was still had ultimately more pace than Valentino consistently throughout the season, especially with Maverick getting those three early victories in the first five races. Um, it was a little bit closer towards the end of the year, but I would still say Maverick was probably the guy that was still better overall. When the going got tough, that was when Valentin's experience came into play. But on a standard day, I think Maverick was a shade better. So, Maybe Valentino Rossi's fading just a little bit. I mean, I might get shot just for saying that right now. I, I see a couple of red lights coming through my window as we speak. Like, I don't know what they're point of my head or anything, but uh, uh, I mean, I think maybe it's a, it's a sign of some slight Valentino. I mean, he's 38 years old. Yeah, 39 I mean, before next season starts. Like, like the question I think is how good do you expect him to be at this point still like do you do you genuinely still see him as a title contender if you do then this was a disappointing year but that's that's the beautiful thing about Valentino rossi he gets the best of both camps he gets to he gets the legendary camp who we all all still are happy for and we all still root for um you know to do well because like you know MotoGP is, is, in, is in a better place when Valentino Rossi is up the front I'm not denying that for a second here but at the same time he also gets the pleasure of basically not being criticised as a title threat anymore despite the fact he lost to his teammate and never really looked like he was going to win the championship so I guess it's the best of both worlds if you Valentino but you know I think the bike is definitely ultimately responsible for you know Yamaha not being anywhere near a, a, a title threat for the season But I definitely think Rossi's performances definitely play a factor in that too. Yeah, he was certainly
0: the number two at Yamaha this year. Maverick was the stronger rider over the core of the season. Um, I mean, my two cents on it, I still think Valentino Rossi is competitive enough to win a title if the bike that he's on is the best in the field as he proved in 2015 um, because he's got that now to just basically maximize his points tally over a season and get it to the finish uh, this was another season for Valentino he only had the two DNFs because he had the did not start at Mizano um, when he didn't even take part in the weekend due to his injury um, he had the crash of the final lap at Le Mans when he was gonna finish first or second there and the crash in Japan where Yamaha were all at sea in the wet um, other than that, he was consistent enough, um, just not quite consistently up on the podium. And as far as Yamaha's seasons concerned, concerned, looking at the team as a whole, this is surely a team with more questions to answer from their 2017 than just about anybody else in the field. And it really struck me listening to Valentino Rossi this week, because um, the team are about to test at Sepang um, as their preparations for 2018 get underway. And Valentino Rossi said in the lead up to this test that Yamaha... The basis for their 2018 bike, the, the the blueprint is based on their 2016 M1, which basically is an admission that their 2017 bike was trash.
1: Yeah, this year was basically a write-off. That, that, that's what Valentino Rossi is saying. It's a write-off. And like uh, if you're going to completely go back to the drawing board... Then you might as well just openly say that yeah, this season was a waste of time because they've they've basically scrapped their entire twenty seventeen model. When the Yamaha saying yeah, okay, we're going to use last year's bike as the base for for twenty eighteen. That's Yamaha
0: saying we got it wrong with our bike this year.
1: Yeah, and the evidence speaks for itself. I mean, four wins as a team overall in the year of twenty seventeen both men between 70 and 90 points off the top of the championship. And, you know, last year was a disaster for him, given that basically Lorenzo and Rossi beat the shit out of each other so bad they let Marquez sneak in through the back door. This year, they were legitimately uncompetitive in several races this year, in low grip and in no grip wet weather conditions they were terrible and this might be the worst Yamaha season since Lynn Jarvis took over the team and he's gonna have answers for because this was the second year in a row where Yamaha's basically walked out with next to nothing and he's got to answer to shareholders like well why have we been so bad the last couple of years like not even a sniff of the title the last two seasons so Yamaha needs to bounce back because like, I don't think they're going to tolerate three underperforming years in a row.
0: Yeah, absolutely not. Just to uh, just clarify on what Valentino Rossi said this week, it was an interview with an Italian radio station. Um, and he said that now is a critical moment between now and February. Um, Yamaha needs to make a big leap forward. We tried the old bike the one from 2016 in valencia we deliberated and we all agreed the 2017 bike was worse we will still have to see what the new bike will be like there will be something interesting but the base will be the bike from 2016. essentially the bike that tech 3 were running for most of this year. And as proven through several occasions this season, it was still a bike capable of challenging for a victory um, on the right day. So Yamaha with some major questions to answer before next season starts, and um, because their title challenge was pretty much over by this stage in the season at Mizano. It was pretty much clear at this stage it was going to be Marquez versus Dovizioso. And leaving Mizano, Dre, they were all square in the championship, largely because of Mark Marquez's brilliance once again on the final lap of a Grand Prix. Danilo Petrucci felt that pretty hard.
1: Yeah, it, it, oh, like it's hard not to feel a bit bad for Danilo on that one, like Danilo was basically played with the last three laps of that race.
0: So Marquez, where he just pulls out this last lap from the gods to win a race,
1: wasn't that the fastest lap in a Grand yeah. Prix as well at the end? I'm pretty sure it was. Like, how does he do this? It's not fair. Uh, like, it's one of those things where it's just like, he's just so good when he wants to be. Like, like Marquez again, he was setting it up for two laps prior. where He was just getting closer. And closer to the Nino. And you could tell that Marquez had it in such a way where he could pull the pin and make the move at any time. And on the final lap into turn one, there it was. The breaking job, the confidence. He went down the inside. The bless his heart, did not give up. um But again, Marquez pulled out a second and a half by the time they got to the line. Again, yeah. like, 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 how, how do you do that? The like, Nino is like. Basically, the king of wet weather riding at this point now—he's probably the best weather rider in the field. And then Marquez pulls out a second and a half on him on the final lap to win the Grand Prix, and made it look so effortless in the process. Where, like, the guy's just a genius, and that was just another moment of his genius where he just pulled that one out of nowhere, and just the fact he made it look so easy in the process—just brilliant stuff. Yeah,
0: absolutely sensational, Marquez. <laughs> it's pretty clear in MotoGP these days when we have a wet Grand Prix. Um, the, clearly the best three riders in the world on, in those conditions are Marquez, de Vizioso and Petrucci, um, as, as we'll see when we get to Vetteghi in a couple of races time, because um, they were the top three there as well. Um, Marquez then joined Vizioso at the top of the championship. They were dead level in the championship, leaving Misano. Um, with just six races of the season uh, to go, both on 199 points, uh, with Maverick Vinales almost a full race's worth of points behind now in third place. Vinales finishing only fourth uh, in the Grand Prix at just not uh, being able to make that Yamaha work in the wet conditions. Uh, Aragon saw uh, Yamaha back up to full strength, with Valentino Rossi returning to the team, much to uh, the chagrin of Michael Vandermark, who'd been lined up to replace him that weekend, uh, and ended up having to wait a couple more races for his debut uh, in the the premier class um the yamaha boys in the end wouldn't feature in the battle for the win um with their boys finishing fourth and fifth in the end vinales finishing fourth from pole position um a very disappointing outing once again for him as yamaha struggled to make their tires work over a race distance those that could were the hondas with mark marquez and danny pedroza taking a one 2 finish in that grand prix um and Another Grand Prix, I suppose, Dre, as much as we talk of Mark Marquez's victory, it was another Grand Prix that once again proved the value of having a guy like Pedrosa on your other bike.
1: Absolutely right. I mean, that that that's the value of him right there as a rider. Like Just having that ability there to be a clean-up guy, to basically just hold everybody else off. And again, Pedrosa so tactically excellent where again, second half of the race after saving his tyres, shot through the field, like a lion and basically was going to give Marquez a scare towards the end. Didn't quite happen on, on that one. Marquez was able to hold off Pedrosa almost like a carbon copy of her ref um, in, in this one. But yeah, Marquez was on the ragged edge again in Aragon on that, on, on that occasion there, but was able to make it work in the end, beat Pedrosa to the front. Um, Lorenzo who led the majority of that race in the early going, um, faded as the race was on, like once he had locked Lorenzo out of his rhythm, he was, he was toast basically on that one. But yeah, Repsol Honda one-two finish, Lorenzo in third, and Marquez back in control of the championship after after Dovi struggled to seventh place, mm, which
0: was a strange one because it was not like the Ducati wouldn't work that weekend because Jorge Lorenzo was third that day um, in arguably his best showing of the season uh, at Aragon, where he. He'd was Mark Marquez's equal for a lot of that Grand Prix before fading in the final third of the race uh, to third. As I mentioned, the movie star Yamahas were fourth and fifth. Uh, Valentino Rossi's performance certainly deserved a mention given that he just returned from a two-week-old broken leg uh, to finish fifth uh, in the Aragon Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. Um, Quite extraordinary. And as Dre mentioned earlier in the show, the equal best result of the season for Aprilia. Uh, with Alicia Sparrow uh, taking sixth. Um, On to the three Asia-Pacific flyaways then before uh, the season came to a close. Um, and, Dre, you might want to get that 10 out of 10 claxing out again because it's for up next.
1: Hammer time! Hammer time! It's another one, one, folks. This might be the best uh, of all. <laughs> it, it probably is. This was a, a, a wet weather classic again that just about everything involved again. And... You know, Zarko basically turning Lorenzo salty again (laughs) by comparing him to PlayStation Overtaker. That was quite funny. Um, uh, Again, Petrucci again in the opening mixer for the, the Battle for the Wet, but again, just didn't quite have the legs the challenge for it but once again a last lap dogfight between Marquez and Dovi for the third time this season those two would go at it right at the end of the Grand Prix and just when you thought Marquez had it in the bag with half a lap to go oh a big friggin wobble um, towards the end and again any other guy he's probably on the canvas right now but Marquez was able to keep but it did open the door just a crack and that was enough for Dovi to once again and stop me from this one before basically take his chance and, was and you know, take it with both hands. Once again, Marquez tries a last lap lunge. Once again, he's held off at the pass on the final corner by Dovi, who's able to get the, the cutback and the better run to the flag, but uh, another magnificent Grand Prix, a fantastic last lap fight, and Dovi, basically doing everything he could to keep that title leader leader alive. And, yeah, again, just beats Marquez to the punch in a 10-point swing. Critical yeah, stuff. One of
0: the reasons why this would arguably be my race of the year, it's, it's up there with Philip Island, which I'll come on to next, uh, for the race of the year, is because we've, I've, I've spoken about this before. Like Sometimes you get a season where you have a great championship fight, but some very poor races. Um, and sometimes you have a season where you have some very, very good races, but a pretty one-sided championship um, but this was one of those rare races where the two met in the middle, where we had a fantastic championship battle and those two championship protagonists basically in a slugfest in the most appalling of conditions and right the way down to the final corner as well between Marquez and So, I mean, this race, it, it's easy to sort of underplay it, though, just how impressive it was because of how poor the conditions were. It was supreme riding skill, supreme bravery between Dre, the two best riders on the planet this year.
1: I'd say so. By a country mile, there's the best riders on the planet this year. And again, just pristine riding, hard but fair, competitive. And respectful. um, And and respectful and played out in great spirit. There were hugs and laughs in the garage after the race itself, which you you would never have guessed if you had seen that fight on the track. You'd have thought they might want to kill each other after that race. But no. Like... They, they they it was played out in total respect in in sport you know great sportsmanship and class from the pair of them and that was the breath of fresh air that i think this series probably needed after the quite toxic ending of our 2015 and that title fight came to. and the last time we had a title fight go down to the wire a couple of years ago and again that that got toxic quite quickly this time not the same thing but uh, again the like this was the personification of the, of this fantastic feud between you know, Dovia, Marquez, all year long. And yeah, like, Mategi might be the best of the bunch of the uh, quote-unquote forgotten races of 2017. Yeah, ne- 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 next, next up, the one we yeah, all do Divizioso remember. Divizioso winning <laughs> the
0: Japanese Grand Prix. Before we come on to Philip Island, though, um, that top three that I mentioned at Bizarro, the three best in the world in the wet, Daviziosa winning from Marquez, and you guessed it, Danilo Petrucci in third position uh, in the Japanese Grand Prix. Um, fourth and fifth, though, went to a team that we haven't really mentioned at all yet uh, in this 2017 season review, Um, And that's Suzuki, um, who had a tremendous 2016, a real breakout season for them, where they won for the first time since returning to the sport, thanks to Maverick (laughs) Vinales at Silverstone. Um, Before we talk about the way their season finished, which admittedly was very, very good, um, would it be a little too simplistic for me, Dre, and a little too harsh for me to say that when Maverick Vinales left the team, so did their performance?
1: Yeah, um, I guess maybe Alex Rins pulled a little bit, little bit of it back towards the end of the year. I mean, you they know, were, they were definitely stronger towards the end of the year after Suzuki gave him a new swing arm, and that definitely helped out. But the, for the first two thirds of the year, I mean, it was a disastrous season for Suzuki. You and know, was, uh, you know, was really taking his time to get used to the bike. His, his work rate and his work ethic had come into question. Alex Rins was hurt and missed five races at the start of the season. And when he came back, it took him a little while to find his footing again. Um, but again, when when by the time they got to the end, they were great. Rins was spectacular. Um, again, like five top eights to, to finish the season. Um, very, very strong indeed. Ian Oni was starting to get his, his foot down again towards the end of the year. You saw the reasons why Suzuki had taken him on in the first place. Um, again, three top six out of the last four races on, on that one as well. And that was exactly why he had hired him in the first place, um, basically. So, yeah, Suzuki, uh, and like, definitely a case of one step forward, two steps back this year. They were they were not the juggernaut they were last year, where they were thinking about challenging Ducati for third best team overall, and they've they've regressed to back to fourth and a distant fourth compared to where the big three were this year. And with KTM nipping at their heels for next year, they're going to have to be careful. And uh, but. I do think that with you know Alex Rins you know showing real class and potential towards the end of the season, and, you know, and he may maybe showing a bit more of his form, it looks like again maybe just maybe that uh, that they might be a bit stronger going into 2018 because it seems like they found their feet again. Yeah, we'll talk
0: about Rins in a second. As far as Ianoni is concerned, I mean he was he was brought in to replace. Um, pretty hard shoes to fill in Maverick Vinales. Um, but he was a rider that I guess many would consider to have just as much upside on a good day than, than Maverick. And you, there seems to be two camps Dre with you know, there's either the camp that I think probably the two of us would find ourselves in of just saying that this guy's got phenomenal talent when he can unleash it, and he's he's a, he's a guy worth persevering with. Um, but there's also a camp that this guy just doesn't have the application or the uh, maturity to be a top line MotoGP rider. And it's fair to say that. By midpoint in the season, there was plenty of ammunition for that camp. And uh, even Kevin Schwantz was in that camp.
1: Yeah, Schwantz said, listen, if you're not going to respect this team, then go, basically. And, you know, he he pissed off the high brass. And that takes some doing when, you know, legends for your factory and guys that still take a paycheck off of Suzuki themselves are coming out here and basically saying, this yeah, ain't good enough. Not the right people to
0: pick a fight and- with <laughs>
1: No, exactly. And yeah, don't get me wrong. Maverick Vinales is a tremendous talent, and Alicia Spagaro is a very valuable guy to have in a team. Suzuki, it's, it's on paper, it was definitely a step back for the team in terms of rider talent. But we forget, Ianoni only won a Grand Prix last year. Ianoni was fifth in the championship, an excellent rider, and a guy we were looking at as a borderline alien figure who on his day could, could challenge, if not win. So there wasn't an excuse. They're expecting him to go there and lead that team. But Ianoni's not a development guy. He's a am going to ride the nuts off this thing and see what happens sort of guy. He's not a Dovi. He's not the sort of guy you make you, you want to build a team around. But he is a guy with exceptional talent. That's been the one unarguable thing about Ianoni for the last two or three years is that on his day, he's exceptional. Mm. Um, so, and that's probably why Suzuki have persevered and maybe he shouldn't have been at that towards the end. But his temperament has rightly been called into question, and, he's, and he needs to find the good eono and rather than the bad only really soon. Um, because if if he if he starts next year how he starts he started the season that's just gone by, people are going to be asking for his head. Quite yeah, as quickly.
0: far as <laughs> Suzuki is concerned, and we're talking about a rider that they want to build their team around. Uh, they may still have one um, because given how badly his season began with injuries, um, you know he didn't really his season arguably didn't even start until Bruno. Um, this season Dre just how good was Alex Rins uh, in 2017 and um, is he truly the guy that Suzuki might well be able to build their future around
1: he could be Um, like for all intents and purposes he basically got half a season and if the season had started Uh... uh,
0: at Assen when Alex Rins returned from his injury he would have finished ahead of Yannone in the championship
1: It'd have been top ten, easy, easily top ten. Um, like like Rins was outstanding towards the end of the year. Like he just got better and better as the season went by. He's still, It's easy to forget he's still learning this bike, and he's had a lot less runtime compared to everybody else in the field. A lot less runtime than and only because. Again, as I mentioned, he missed five. He missed five of the first seven races through injury, um, but his very first race finished in ninth. You could see the talent was there right from the start. And we've always said that about Alex Rins. The talent has never been under question. It's all about the application, the you know, the temperament, and whether he can you know keep his head screwed on and, and wring its neck. And he's, he, he did that when he came back. And a fourth place at Valencia in the final round was a brilliant best of the rest performance. Valentina basically, Rossi to get it too. Yeah, brilliant. Again, up there with the very best in the class. So if Suzuki can find Rins a little bit more, I can't wait to see what he does next year because, hey, he could be the guy to build the team around for the future because the talent is absolutely there. Absolutely.
0: He finished the year in 16th in the championship, which doesn't really do him justice for how well he was, given that, as mentioned, 59 points in essentially half the season um, for Alex Rins. He was tremendous. And as Jay as mentioned, he ended it with fourth at the final round in Valencia, which was uh, had a bit of irony attached to it because, of course, Suzuki were... Uh, one race away from getting some of their concessions back for next season, having not had a dry podium all year. Rins nearly quashed all that by getting on the podium in Valencia for the final round of the season. Uh, right then, to Phillip Island and the race that we've all been looking forward to talking about on this show, that Dre certainly has been looking forward to. Um, we've had a few 10 out of 10s Dre in 2017. Uh, Phillip Island was probably 11 out of 10. It-
1: at about 14, personally, but um, yeah, yeah, seems about right. I mean, in a season that's had five 10 out of 10 or better races, Australia, yeah, it probably was the best of the bunch, which is again a quite the statement given how ridiculous this season has been, but yeah, like Australia. Wasn't a race; it was a punch-up, yes. um, basically. Um, have you ever seen those like old episodes of Looney Tunes where you, be- you basically get Tas the Tasmanian Devil, a giant smoke cloud, <laughs> and limbs yes. flying out? Of it? This basically was that race. Um, Mark Marquez, Maverick Vinales, Valentino Rossi, and Johan Zarco basically beat the shit out of each other for about twenty-five yeah, had, laps, and it was a, great. Sort
0: of supporting roles from the likes of Andrea and One, Jack Miller, who led the Grand Prix early in the stages, just two weeks of after course. he'd broken his leg. Um, barely that same season as well. No but, one talks you know, about I that. Mean, that was an <laughs> really impressive showing as well from him. Um it, it was a fantastic Grand Prix. I mean Philip Island always delivers um fantastic racing. Um and it, there were almost two races into one because of course Andrea devicioso had qualified poorly uh, that weekend. Um right on the back of his win in Japan he qualified um back end of the top ten and then fell back to twentieth on the very uh, on the second lap of the Grand Prix after a ran wide at 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 turn one, uh, down at the end of the pitch straight. Um, Only made his way back up to 13th in the end, which meant that basically he was at the mercy of what Marc Marquez managed to achieve in that Grand Prix. Um, And given how much of a punch-up that race was, it was going to be really, it was a difficult one for anyone to break away from a race like that, but it was crucial for Marc Marquez's race, Dre, that he was able to break that gap through all the punch-ups, through Joan Zarco taking a bite out of his rear tail, from Mark Marquez leaving some of his Michelin tyre rubber on Valentino Rossi's shoulder, um, Mark Marquez ultimately was able to make that decisive break to win the Grand Prix, and probably the race win that won him the title.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd, say, I'd say this was the title winning performance, given that Dovi was all the way back in thirteenth. Ducati chose the one place to shit the bed right by the end of the year, but Marquez, again, with seven laps to go, did something that is practically impossible at Phillip Island he broke the toe and that's what won it for him in the end as everybody else was still basically firing limbs out of smoke clouds marquez was able to put through that you know that 0.7 that 0.8 of a second that is really enough to break that slipstream and after that after that happened marquez had won the race and probably the championship at that point in time because yeah, nobody could keep up with his ultimate pace on that one, and again, just pulled the pin about seven ago, and nobody yeah, could stop it was him. it
0: almost one of those scenarios where you've got the likes of I think it was, Zarko who was running in second, and you've got Valentinyosy behind him, saying, saying to himself in his crash helmet, "I can see Marcus getting away. I need to get past Zarko," which he does. Uh, Iannone is there thinking well I can see Marquez getting away so I better get into second so he does and all the while while all these guys are trying to overtake each other for second that gap between themselves and Marquez just grows and grows and grows as Marquez is pulling the pin and uh, yeah it was, it was a crucial phase of that race where Marquez would go on to break away and take the victory, we had a three wide photo finish for second uh, between three separate Yamaha riders with Valentino Rossi taking second just ahead of Maverick Vignanas in third whose mathematical title hopes ended there uh, while Joan Zarco, who'd qualified on the front row and set the fastest lap in that Grand Prix um, for what was, I think, the third time he'd done that all year. Um, Joan Zarco finished in fourth place. Another standout showing for him, and Andrea Iannone um, finishing in sixth, just behind Cal Crutch, though, of course, the winner of the Grand Prix, uh, 12 months prior. A memorable, memorable race. Uh, as Dre mentioned earlier, if you haven't got the video pass, it's worth paying the one euro just to watch this race. Um, just, just do just it. Do it. Um, I mean, I've still got it. It's another one I've still got on my TiVo box at home, and I, I just never tire of watching that race. It was a race. one of those races, Dre, where I. Think back to that Super Sport 300 race this year where Scott Redding's making noises in the background every other corner when an overtake takes place. I was making that I was making that noises sat on the couch at home. Every time John Zarco just sent one up the inside of Antonio Rossi, I was watching and thinking, oh, it was just one of those. It was one of those where you're just thinking, geez, guys, like like this is a Moto 3, guys, just chill. Um, but yeah, it was it was a brilliant Grand Prix. It was MotoGP at its absolute finest um all Absolutely. it missed all it missed was Davizioso up there too um but we had the separate story of him trying to close way back up the field which he couldn't quite do in the end he finished down in 13th uh, in that grand prix what a grand prix it was one of the races of the season or of any season uh, in motor gp well worth your time to watch um two races remain then after that and mark has headed to malaysia with a chance of winning the title um Malaysia in the end brought us one of the qualifying sessions of the year, if nothing else. Mark Marquez having yet another crash. He would go on to have twenty-seven of them uh, over the course of the season. Many of them coming in Q two um, at various stages of the season. I think I think four of the last five races he crashed in, or four of the last six he crashed in Q two because he did it at Misano, did it at Aragon, did it in um, in Malaysia, and then did it again in Valencia where Mark Marquez chasing pole position through up the scenery. Um, pole position in the end went to Danny up from Joan Zarco and Andrea Di Vizioso um, before the weather changed and we had another wet Grand Prix in the uh, in the Malaysian uh, Grand Prix and a race that Ducati really had to win if they were to keep their title hopes alive. Mark Marquez was kind of playing the sensible championship game, riding around in fourth, just doing what he had to do to try and set his championship challenge up, whether it was going to be in Sepang or in Malaysia, which left the two Ducatis, one and two at the front, Jorge Lorenzo leading from Andrea De Vizioso before the three words appeared that, I think is synonymous now with Ducati for this 2017 season. Suggested mapping eight.
1: Yeah, in other words, get out of the <laughs> yeah. friggin' way. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, gosh, this was without question, um, the defining moment of Ducati season, I would argue. So, yeah, this was this this was big, um, and yeah, um, basically, well, as we now know, this this was effectively a team order, and like well, you know, don't get it twisted. Don't think it was anything else. I mean, basically, for for Jorge Lorenzo, then then he, him propping the bike up on his knee and almost crashing of about six to go, basically probably saved Ducati a very awkward conversation post race regarding team orders on that one where by all intents and purposes, Lorenzo ignored team orders. Well, in this case, it was more accidental because he openly admitted he didn't see the message on his dashboard. Believe that if you will. Um, But (laughs) his mistake opened the door for Dovi to go through and win again to keep his slim chances of winning the title alive. But, uh... Ooh, it, it it certainly left a bit of taste in the mouth, especially if, you, if, if you're uh, someone like Gigi Delinia who, you know, he almost saw his season crumble in front of his very eyes. as a, His riders just did not get along, so to speak. No, it, it was One.
0: almost like, yeah, we wanted you to be this good at the start of the season, Hulk kid. Now you're kind of an inconvenience to us um, by, by being yes. this good. Uh, I mean, getting ahead of Dovi. Dovi would go on to win that Grand Prix courtesy of that error. In inverted commas, it was an error from Hockey Lorenzo, but it was a convenient one for Ducati um, in letting Dobby through for his sixth victory of the season. Um, And we'll talk about Valencia in a moment. Of course, Dobby would not win the championship in the end. He'd miss out. Um, But purely on the fact that he took it to the final round, Dre, and the fact that he matched Marc Marquez for wins in the season, and really, for much of the season, matched Marc Marquez, period, for 2017 and for the way they rode, we cannot speak highly enough of the body of work that André Di Vizioso put together in 2017, considering where he was and how we viewed him a year ago.
1: He had two Grand Prix wins going into 2017. He ended the year with eight. He had basically quadrupled his win total in a single season. He had six wins in throughout 2017 his best by a country mile that like, only Marquez was able to match those six victories. And despite the fact he fell on his sword at the last hurdle and again, the only real, you know, rider error he'd made all year long, um, where again, he, he fell on his sword and crashed in Valencia. The fact that Dovi was able to take Marquez, you know, the best Marquez we might have ever seen to the final round. Um, and again, I, I don't care who you are, if you if, if like if you genuinely thought, listening to this show, that Dovi was a title contender, raise your hand. Put your hand down again, you're yes. a liar. Unless you're a close Unless you're a close member of Dovi's family and you're a liar. Uh, like, like you would never have guessed in a million years that Dovi would ever really challenge Marquez for this championship. But he did. And he did so in beautiful fashion. And he was the biggest you know, protagonist this season has had. And the surprise factor of him being so good and so high up the field was what made this season so compelling. Um, So absolutely. Um, Again, we cannot, I cannot speak highly enough of Dovi's body of work and the, and the role that he played in this magnificent season. And, you know, Dovi might be the biggest reason this season was so great in the end. So I'm truly grateful for that. And Dovi deserves all the praise and the credit in the world because he handled, this season, with with grit, determination, and class, and you know you can't say any more than yeah, that. he, he
0: played <laughs> such a pivotal role in giving us the season that we got by pushing Mark Marquez all the way to the wire, uh, and pushing Mark Marquez literally to the point where he was one save on his elbow and, and knee in Valencia away from potentially losing it uh, in the final round. And that was the the effect and the pressure that Davicio so put on Mark Marquez um, this year. And as we mentioned earlier on, the fact that it was conducted with such respect between the two. Um, was a breath of fresh air and just what the sport needed and painted the sport in such a good light um, in 2017. And and it's funny, isn't it? Because we spoke at the start of the season when Jorge Lorenzo joined this team of, well, Ducati have got the right rider now to win the championship. All they need to do now is give him the bike capable of winning it. Well, it's kind of flipped on its head, hasn't it? Because Ducati arguably did produce a bike capable of certainly competing at the front, but it was Dovi that made it happen. And you'd almost go as far to say that... <laughs> That standing ovation that, that Jorge Lorenzo, uh, the, sorry, that Andre Di Vizioso got when he rode back in in Valencia after dropping it during that race was so symbolic for me at Ducati. It was almost as if Ducati still couldn't quite believe that they were championship contenders and almost considered that Dovi had carried them that far.
1: I still I still remember after the home win in Mugello, I've mentioned this before, but after the home win at Mugello, they, they showed a behind-the-scenes clip of Dovi returning to Ducati's home of operations um and the stand innovation and the chance of Dovi, Dovi. like like the like that was when it would kind of became clear that um the tide the tide had turned. Yeah, because yeah, because at the start um, of in of the Giac- season, Giac- we Giac- thought
0: that this was finally the time. Hawkins Lorenzo was going to pick Jacati up on his shoulders and carry them to the top. And in the end, it was Dovi that did it.
1: Absolutely, it was Dovi that led the team, spearheaded him. And again, I think you're right. I don't think even Jacati truly believed. Um, you know, that they would ever get this close. Um, it's it's an unbelievable season. It was an unbelievable effort from Dovi to even take it to the final round. Uh, I know it says like Dovi lost out by thirty seven points. It doesn't tell the true picture of this season no. at all on this one. And it, it makes Dovi look a lot worse than he actually was because he was phenomenal this season. And the standing ovation that Dovi got was, was said it all. Like he that was a man who could give no more and um <laughs> you know again he, he won't have that world title to take back home but he, he it was a truly phenomenal effort and Again, you can see that Dovey were genuinely super grateful that he had taken him that far. And again, you can't say any more than that. It was a it was a tremendous from effort. From
0: Ducati's point of view, they are almost there. <laughs> there still are those flaws that the front end of the bike still perhaps <laughs> just a little bit improved. Before. And you know those flaws were exposed at the circuits such as um, Philip Island later in the season, where you know that the you know Dovizioso was you know second Ducati home. He was only just beaten on the line by Scott Redding, but you know the best Ducati on the line was twelfth that day um in philip island 11th should i say with uh, scott Redding. um so ducati still have their flaws, but they are so nearly there uh, and a lot of credit needs to go not only to david but to Gigi delinia and to davide talozzi and the whole team there um for the progress they've made with that bike and uh yeah we eagerly anticipate what they do in 2018 because they're a team that certainly have made the most visible um efforts to try and improve with the uh some of the uh striking fairings that they brought in and the aerodynamics that we've seen on that bike there's no <laughs> yeah, question that but... team is stopping at nothing to try and make that bike a winner um, and they now appear to have two aliens within their team and we thought at the start of the season that they only had the one um, and i mean we spoke about this on a previous show didn't we dre about So that some people have i think unfairly looked at this as davidzioso's one and only shot and that you know his, his big chance of winning the title is gone <laughs> But for me, I think this is a new Dovey, and this is the
1: new Dovey that we're going to see for years to come. Absolutely. I mean, like, I've got no reason to think he's suddenly going to decline again after this. Like, like, like what reason would you think? Like, Gicati's gotten better and better the last three years. The GP15. Like, we cannot speak highly enough of what Gigi Deligne has done to that camp. It's a different team compared to the Ducati of three or four years ago. Like, they've gone from strength to strength. The GP17 was, an, by all accounts, an excellent bike. A great all-rounder, it's worth pointing out. Pretty much everywhere besides Phillip Island, they you know, they were in the mix and competitive on several tracks they weren't at before. So that, that team has clearly taken big steps forward and is only going to get better as time goes on. So, no, I don't think this is going to be a case of you know, a one-and-done year for Dovi. I think he's going to be a true title contender for years to come because... The Ducati camp behind them is great, and I don't see any reason why that's suddenly going to change. Absolutely
0: not. We uh, we look forward to Ducati, hopefully um, taking the fight to Yamaha to Honda once again, and obviously Yamaha hopefully joining the fray next year. Um, what a season 2018 could be. We'll talk about that very briefly uh, before we go. Um, but one round remains, the final showdown, as it was titled, in Valencia um, between uh, Andre Davizioso and Matt Marquez. As we've mentioned, Davizioso would crash late in the race trying to. Uh, try his forlorn attempts to try and win the Grand Prix he needed to win the race to have any hope of the title um, on the final round and hoped that Marc Marquez um, had a bad day and finished outside the top 11 um, and in many ways in that final showdown it was a showdown that was riddled with tension without really having the excitement until around the final seven laps and perhaps the abiding image of the 2017 title decider drain it's kind of fitting that MotoGP's official social media channels have retweeted all of this and brought it back to everyone's attention just today on social media. The 64 degree angle, save of Mark Marquez, the save of the century, and probably the save that won in the world title.
1: It, um, like, I never thought you'd ever hear me say the phrase, title winning save. Yeah. It's a very weird phrase, but is that not the most Mark Marquez thing of all time? Like, <laughs> The fact that a ludicrous 64-degree, 95-mile-an-hour save where the front tyre is gone and slides for 50 metres <laughs> and Marquez is able to save it, get back on the track and still finish on the podium. Wouldn't that be the most perfect Mark Marquez way to win a... Yeah, j- yes, be. exactly. It's exactly the Mark Marquez way. he said way. himself, Marquez <laughs>
0: style to the end
1: yeah like that, that is the only way to do it my friend You could like like like, and it, it was spectacular and it was incredible unbelievable there is no superlative worthy of what of what that meant for marquez and if you forget this he braked 30 meters late for that corner and somehow did not crash um He's not fuming, ladies and gentlemen. He's from the planet Zarg. I I, I don't know how he's able to pull this off half the time, but he did beautifully and that is just mark marquez in a nutshell um just unbelievable stuff and again like the the save of dreams so to speak um just
0: to uh, just to complete <laughs> so... the story of that final round in here danny pedroza were going to win that final grand prix in L last lap battle with poor joan zarko who i've never i've never <laughs> wanted to win a grand prix more um in that final lap but of We're course up. he had to settle for second in the end um but it's a measure of how good zarko has been this year that he had two seconds and a third and a pole position in his rookie season on a satellite bike uh, and add that to three fastest laps as well what a season he had and um, we had to settle for second in that final race behind danny pedroza third for mark marquez would clinch him the title um and as far as mark marquez goes dre i mean you know he is the world champion of the season so the last word for 2017 goes to mark marquez um just a freakish talent, just a, a talent that I go back two years and think of how he was almost public enemy number one for so many people in this sport, and I think of it now, and I think, how on earth does anyone not like this guy? Um, I mean, he's he still isn't the face necessarily of MotoGP. Valentino Rossi will probably be that face until he retires. Um, but this is a guy that MotoGP, really, for the for the next decade or so, this guy is going to be competing at the front of this sport. This is the guy that, for the future, MotoGP needs to really get behind, doesn't it?
1: It has to, like, like I mentioned this before. I mentioned the track and field problem that like, I, went, I, made, I wrote a blog about it and talked about it earlier in the year, talking about how it was a track and field problem. Like, oh yeah, all of a sudden Usain Bolt and Mo Farah are retiring at the same time, and then all of a sudden the media is scrambling, trying to make a star out of Wade Van Niekerk when he's not really the guy. And it's it's the same deal in MotoGP because listen, Rossi's days are numbered. This like next year could be his final season, and mm. and. He, what do you do after you retire like what where do those fans go because the sea of yellow is guaranteed at almost every grand prix like what's going to happen next and no one really knows and for me logically it's a no-brainer you get behind mark marquez and make him the face of the of the sport because no one on a bike can do what he can do um and for me it's it's an absolute no-brainer i know you're never going to convince some of the rossi audience for his role in what happened in 2015 and that's going to be a problem but he, he is so spectacular on a motorcycle his talent is so undeniable we are witnessing one of the greatest bike riders we have ever seen grace this sport already, and arguably the most captivating rider we've ever seen hit this sport ever. And if, if, if the sport doesn't get behind him, they are missing a golden opportunity to set the next generation forward because Mark Marquez is a transcendent talent. I have never seen anyone like him in the 15, 16 years I've been watching MotoGP. I don't know if we ever will ever again. He is, he is insane. insane. He's brilliant. And-, and yeah, he's one of those guys that... Um,
0: you could watch him on a qualifying lap and be royally entertained just by the way he rides a motorcycle. Yeah. You could watch him on an empty track and be entertained. He's fantastic. He, he's, he's, the way he races with other other riders, as we've seen with Davizioso this year, is brilliant. He never gives up. He pushes it right to the final corner of every race, um, which is fantastic to watch. He makes for great racing as well. Um, he's aggressive um, without um, nine times out of ten without being over-aggressive. Um, unless you perhaps see one of those in yellow with a 46 on your chest um, but equally contrary to what many in that 46 camp think, he's a really nice guy too, I, I, I don't understand people who boo this yeah. guy, he's such a nice kid, like you, whenever whenever you he's watch him interviewed, the guy always has a smile on his face
1: Right, like he's just unanimously a top bloke, he's got that Jonathan Rager, that sort of vibe where he's just He's just infectiously And he was charming. one of the first and to congratulate
0: just... Johnny Ray too on his World Superbike
1: title. <laughs> game recognized yeah. game. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you're absolutely right. My is just a, a barrel of energy. The same energy he has on the track, he has off the track. You could tell he has a real passion for motorcycle racing and just a... Uh, just a real just happiness for life that i like, got something that you know we could all learn something from he's always got a smile on his face he never takes himself too seriously he always seems to enjoy himself and yeah he's just he just seems like you know a really really nice bloke and like i don't see how anybody could boo him after getting to know him a little bit and seeing how he's like on tv he is the perfect ambassador for your sport going forward and i I, I, would, I would defy anybody to argue with me otherwise because the, the, the guy's fantastic He's still only 24 uh, as well um <laughs> which is remarkable he's probably got another decade
0: uh, i arguably decade and a half to go if he wants uh, and he could well have all of grumpy racing's motorcycle racing records um, with his name next to them uh, by the time he finishes um if he wants to um what a season uh, for mark marquez and that was the 2017 MotoGP GP season. Um, it, it's been a phenomenal campaign, one of the best we, we've seen, certainly the, one of the best I've ever uh, had the privilege of watching. I mean, I've ask you to pick one moment out, Dre. You mentioned John Zarco's incredible emergence in Qatar. Would that be the moment mm. that stands out for you?
1: For me, it probably would be because I think it just defined everything about, everything great about this season was basically, it all started with. You still started with Johan Zarco's spectacular opening round at Katzai. It was, it was the definition of unpredictability. It was the definition of, you know, surprise. The surprise of Dovi coming through the year. The surprise of so many classic graces and iconic moments that, that, that defined this season. Um, you know, I think it all goes back to that moment. And... Like for me, I would take that. There's a there's a whole dozen I could go through right now. Like again, Dovi winning at home. You know, we we, we could go into you know Mitegi. We could go into Austria. We could go into you know Petrucci's roles in in the wet this season. There's so many great moments that you know there's 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 a dozen in there that I wouldn't begrudge you if you if you was if you'd have said anything other than what I did. But this for me has been the greatest biking season I've ever witnessed because it it, it told so many different stories. We had like the best action that that I think this this class has ever seen. And just we're leaving a sport right now that that has never looked healthier, as well. Mm. That you know, we have six factory teams that are all competitive in their own right. We've had. KTM you know rise up the field in incredibly quick fashion you know we've seen aliens I mean, we've arguably got five maybe six in the field right now that you could throw in that category of guys that can win any given race on paper you know that the independence looks stronger than ever before and you know, who knows, like, some of the great Moto2 talent that could be making their debut. And it's like Frankie Morbidelli we got coming up next year. Takanakagami Gami mm-hmm. who's looked very solid in testing. I mean, look at guys like Miguel Oliveira, potentially maybe Alex Marquez in a couple of years' time as well. The future of bike racing looks very, very bright indeed. But uh, what a season you've left behind. Uh, yeah, if I was
0: to take one moment <laughs> out, I'd, as I mentioned earlier, I'd probably go Austria in that final corner between so and Mar- Marquez. Oh, yeah. and like I say that that wave oh, yeah. of dobby is probably one of my abiding images of the season of that, just on that was almost dobby's literally sticking his hand up and saying i'm a title threat here um and you guys are now gonna have to finally take me seriously and we certainly did um from that point on um just before we go Dre, you've, you've kind of teed it up there but uh gp for the last two years we've almost said at the end of the season how on earth does motor gp follow that uh, next season but there are so many reasons to suggest that 2018 could be every bit as good
1: Absolutely, I mean, again, Marquez is Marquez. He writes his own. He writes his own narratives at this point. Dovi is probably going to stick around. Will the Yamaha bounce back with Maverick Vinales? Like, could this be Valentino Rossi's last stand? Are we getting the Valentino Rossi retirement tour? That you know, that could be an interesting way of looking at things. Like again, as Julian Wright said, the guy everybody fears, Johan Zarco. How will he fare on a 2017 Yamaha next year? Who knows? Like, will Lorenzo bounce back next year after a you know a disappointing year in his standards? Where will the independents come into play? Like Petrucci, Volga, Crutchlow, Miller, you know, Bautista, the other the other new rookie debutants like Thomas who who is a solid rider, Frankie Morbidelli. Where will he end up? Takanakagami, Nakagami, LCR riding two bikes for the first time in a couple of years. Um, you know how far up the field will ktm end up with their very exciting young team um there are a million different angles to look at this at and there is like the only one way to find that is when, we get, is when we come back in the end of march and we see how the 2018 season plays out but uh as you as you said there is so much to look forward to for next year that uh, I, I can't wait for us to get going again it's almost a shame we're leaving it how it is because it's it's been a phenomenal season, and again, I've never felt so good about being a MotoGP fan because the sport's in great hands right now, and it's only set to get better going Absolutely.
0: forward. <laughs> uh, Bike Live is not completely going away, listeners. Don't worry. Through the winter, we are going to be essentially cutting it in half. We're going to be going fortnightly through the uh, winter until World Superbikes yes. returns again at the end of February, so don't worry. We will still have shows every other week um, until this season gets underway again uh, in february so we will have in a couple of weeks time um here on motorsport 101 episode 42 the bike live awards um just in the run up to christmas to um finally bring the curtain down on the complete motorcycle racing season uh, of 2017 with a bit of a light hearted look uh, on the uh, 2017 campaign as we hand out our awards uh, for the year some much coveted some some riders will probably want to avoid, um, but we'll bring you that in a couple of weeks. Um, around about New Year's Day, New Year's time, we'll bring you episode um, forty-three. <laughs> episode forty-four will be midway through January. Episode forty-five, end of January. Midway through February, episode forty-six. Given that will be midway through the winter, you could probably imagine who will be devoting that show to. Um, but we'll leave episode forty-six until we get to February. yeah exactly that would be the ultimate trolling wouldn't it of the uh, motorcycle racing community um but yeah we might well bring you valentino rossi's greatest hits um just before the new season starts um in what as dre mentioned might well be his final season as a motorcycle racer um which would be a story within itself um the 27th moto gp season has been an absolute cracker and we've enjoyed bringing uh each and every bike live to you um covering the MotoGP season uh, in 2017. As I mentioned, it's not over yet, though, because we'll have the awards in a couple of weeks' time. Between now and then, though, <laughs> uh, Motorsport 101 continues with next week's show, episode 115. If you've listened to episode 114 already, you will know that both of the voices you're currently hearing will be featuring on Motorsport 101 next week. Um, because uh, I'll oh, be hearing yeah. on that next week. As um, as Dre, we look back on the Formula 1 season and, indeed, the Motorsport season as a whole. As we're also handing some awards out next week.
1: Awards! Everybody gets an award. It's like Father Jack <laughs> out of Father Ted all over again. Award! Award! <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're stealing sodomy for both shows next week. So um, look forward to that. Um, minus, my, minor tempter. We could have more than one show next week. Just a thought. It's not quite nailed on yet. Keep an eye on our social media at Motorsport underscore one oh one on Twitter at Facebook Facebook.com for slash motorsport one oh one. Stay tuned for that. But um the way we're going, we could have as many as two Motorsport one oh ones next week, which would be, I think, the first time we've ever done two shows in a week. Um well keep stay tuned i'm not confirming it just yet i'm putting a teaser out there but we are working on it as we speak but so uh, one of them will have my cohort lewis Suddaby, who's going to put motorsport 101 under siege <laughs> um which is great if you haven't listened to it already episode 114 is already out as well of course um the other flying fin where we talk about that well highly captivating race in abu dhabi to close out the formula one season yawn um the f1 esports grand final shout out to brandon lee i know you're listening sir um <laughs> shout out to you and, and all the other esports guys that are tuning in um much appreciated and a little bit of super license stuff so well. it's kind of a, it's it, it's a smaller it's a compressed episode for this week but we still had a good time of it and i dropped the mother of all sexually innuendos on that show by the way yeah, so if you want another no, if you, if you want a classic Dre blooper, that alone is worth listening for on that one. So uh, stick around um, for that one. But yeah, keep an eye on our social media. There could be more than one episode next week. Yeah, we have just a one final
0: tangent um, <laughs> based on the fact that we've only been covering MotoGP on this show. We haven't covered any other forms of motorcycle racing. Um, But just to pick up on uh, keeping it one-on-one familiar this week, we are all in for Jonathan Ray on this show to win the Sports Personality of the Year. First of all, many congratulations to Johnny Ray and to World Superbikes that he made the shortlist, the 12. um, Thoroughly, thoroughly deserved. And he is, I believe, fourth favourite to win the whole thing um as of last time That's i checked. Nuts. so uh yeah if you're listening to this um you've got no excuses vote johnny ray in a couple of weeks time for the sports personality of the year um i would love to see that guy get that national recognition and win that award in fact i would just love to see him make the top three it will be a tremendous achievement for jonathan ray um who has been nominated as one of britain's top 12 sporting athletes for the year uh, in the bbc sports personality of the year so we wish him very well um in those awards yes. in a couple of weeks um as jay mentioned uh Follow all of our social media channels for news on next week's show in brackets S. Um, Next week uh, at motorsport underscore 101 on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101, youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 as well. Our website is motorsport101.net. By the way, head over there right now. Dre's team-by-team season review of the Formula 1 season has started right there. Um, So go and check that out now. Unless you're a McLaren fan, you might want to give it a miss. Um, at motorsport101.net um, and if you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access to both of our weekly shows or our fortnightly shows as we head through the winter um, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 as I say if you uh, doc, if you back us at the $5 level you will earn yourself early access to motorsport101 and bike live which will continue through the winter motorsport101 returns next week bike live in a couple of weeks for the bike live awards Um, But that was the 2017 MotoGP season where the best got even better. We thank you for your company in 2017. We'll see you in a fortnight. Bye for now.